right. Welcome to the Salty Dogs Podcast. What's up? What's up? Season three, episode 12. 12, I think yeah, so. Yeah, we're just, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and call this one the title of the book that we're interviewing. Uh, Keith Giles, the author of it's called Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. So that's uh, Jesus Unbound. And so, and uh, Casey's not here tonight. Casey's He's not camping here. in the wilderness. No, Casey's actually climbing trees right now. Oh, okay. So he just he through said the, camping through the summer. Gotcha. He, uh, is he camping? Well, I think he was going to be on a tent ground. Like or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Something. So he's in nature. He's you know he's, he's doing his thing. Yeah, wonderful. Well, it's it's good to be here. I'm super excited about this episode. This is a, kind of a first for us. We'll dive into that, but yeah, we're going to uh, be pretty light on the banter in this episode. We right. want to get right to. Yeah, but we do have some salt. Yeah, let me we, uh, let me pull up the salt. Pass. So tell tell people what the salt is. So the salt is is where we go and we share uh, a review, a comment, uh, an email that somebody's written us, and so we just had somebody, I think today. Uh, give us some fresh salt. So this is like Himalayan. This is this is like here and now and today. I mean, straight, it's fresh, straight from the quarry. Do you, do you got it? I don't. I no, I thought you, you were I'm getting pulling it. Pulling up right now. Okay, it's I, pulling up. I it was I it, it up. was pretty fresh. And so, well, let me go check and see if I can pull it up here really quick. No, you're supposed to banter and make it seem like we've got all. <sighs> well, our I got ducks it. Okay. So this is from. I got it. Are you want me to go for it? I'll, let me roll for it. Okay. You okay. Roll. So we've got Greg, right? Old Greg. Ye, ye old Greg from Facebook uh, left us a review, and uh, now I'm just waiting on Wi-Fi technology, you guys. Man, you're really dropping the ball here. Well, go ahead. You do it then. Okay. All right. Time for our Pass the Salt segment. So uh, here's what Greg had to say. He said, so I'm a podcast noob and already found that this is the most practical, balanced, and non-nauseating Christianese show i found. I dig you guys and appreciate your raw, authentic perspectives. Pass the salt, bro, and keep it going. Jason, do you have something for Greg? You know what, Greg? I'm just going to I'm gonna focus and uh, see what the Lord has for you today. He's got a nice pair of salty cheeks. Salty cheeks? Rosy cheeks. He said salty cheeks. I did say salty cheeks. Maybe we're just going to... Yeah, he's getting out. <laughs> we're going to change it up today. We're change it up so you get some Greg, salty cheeks. the rosiest of cheeks, brother. This is my favorite thing from this. And, and non-nauseating Christianese show I've found. Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you feel... Well, like when we do Christianese, we make fun of it, so... Yeah. That's probably what it is. Now, there's just some things you can't say without using the words that you have to use them. right so but i appreciate that thank you greg we love Good you to know we're not super nauseating yeah with our christian a little bit is okay all right well, we'll see how much christianese we can bust into with this episode uh we've got uh, keith giles so let me just read this bio for you keith giles he's a former pastor who left the pulpit over a decade ago to follow jesus what does that statement even mean he's the author <laughs> of several books uh, including Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, and another book that we have here in our possession, Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. And he's the co-founder of the Pacifist Fight Club and a co-host of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, which I love. It's hilarious. And also blogs at uh, pathios.com slash blogs slash Keith you, Giles. And you always send me his blogs. I, I do. Yeah. I, I send him your blog. So He does. Uh, he and his family started a house church in Orange County, California, uh, where 100% of the offering goes to help the poor in their community. No way. Pretty amazing stuff. That's so, not... That's not real. <laughs> it's real. Well, what is that? I mean, that's like nobody does that. But what about what about swag and shirts and and stickers and and I know hundred percent no swag. What, what about trifolds and pastor and pamphlets? And, I know. And yeah. Anyways. Anyway, so we so man, Keith Giles is here with us. Thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to the Salty Dogs Podcast. 
Oh, man, it is my honor and privilege to be here with you guys. This is awesome. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, we're definitely honored. And so uh, really the purpose of bringing you on today is uh, so I, I just have to give a shout out to my buddy, Andy Springer. Uh, he's the one who introduced me to some of your writings. And uh, he sent me a link to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast and I uh, started listening to that. And it was kind of around the same time I started listening to uh, almost heretics. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those guys. They're out in Seattle, so maybe you check them out. Almost, almost heretical is what it's called. And okay. uh, you know, it's just, uh, just uh, at a time in my life where some of my views have been changing over time. And um, last year or two, really just kind of breaking things wide open, starting to ask questions. Uh, one of the things that I read in your book said something about, you know, religion is, oh no, it was a, there was a lady who wrote a blog and it says, uh, religion is afraid of those who aren't afraid to ask questions and brave enough to find the answers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's kind of where we've been. This, this podcast really is all about asking questions and just with some of the things that we've been talking about lately and finding the, uh, I listened to your episode of heretic happy hour where you were the actual heretic of the week. And it's the episode uh, that's titled the B I B L E. Is that the book for me? Yeah, you yes. sent me that one. I listened yeah, to that yeah, one. Yes. That's, that's the book for time, me. Yeah. And when I heard that, I said, you know what, this guy is speaking my language. And then you mentioned your book and, uh, I reached out to you and I said, Hey, we, we've got to do this. And so Chris and I, over the past couple of days, we just, we powered through the book and you uh, made it all the way. I, I got three, three, uh, three fourths of three the way. Quarters of the way. So yeah, he's 75% knowledgeable and yeah, yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> but so, so just to start this off, Keith, we're, I'm going to hand it over to you because I definitely want to hear as much from you as I possibly can. But as uh, Christopher started reading the book, he posted a quote on Facebook and people just go nuts. Yeah, man, it um, was, it was crazy. Uh, people, people lost their minds. I mean, people, <laughs> I'm serious. And I know these people are maybe, maybe they, I hope they're watching because everybody, and it was a quote, it was a, a quote from Benjamin Corey. Uh, I oh, think yeah. it was in one of your first two chapters. And so it just resonated with me and I posted it and, you know, immediately right out the gate. Oh, I completely disagree. That's not biblical. Jesus and the word, you know, and all the, all the arguments that are all presented in things. your book. And so we were, I was like, wow, this is pretty charged. I didn't even think that this was that controversial. Yes. So, it yeah. was nuts. So, so a little bit of controversy that way. Um, we also, uh, posted that we were going to be talking about this book with you and it's interesting because people they say i haven't read the book but based but, on the title or somebody said hey i read some reviews and i have some questions would you like to meet so that was actually nice um, hmm. and i said yeah absolutely let's talk about it um, and maybe i'll bring up some of those questions but i i yep. want to i want to kind of not ruin the book but i want to give away the end of the book right up front because you know honestly as i was reading it it really came across as authentic. Obviously you wrote it and you meant it, but I felt the way that I just really sensed your heart behind it. And it was kind of like, um, I don't know, like cue the piano music, you know, and, and dim the lights. And, uh, <laughs> and so here's, here's what you write. And I want to, I want to bring this up up front and ask you about your heart behind this. And then we'll dive into some more of what is controversial around, around this, uh, your views of scripture and, and, and this book specifically. So you say, um, in your book, I've been following Jesus for over 40 years now, and I'm convinced of this. 
Knowing things about Jesus is wonderful, but I'm here to tell you, knowing Jesus is better than life itself. I'm also convinced that even though the canon of scripture may have been closed over thousands of years ago, the voices of the spirit and the good shepherd are still speaking today. I just, amen. I want to add that. So uh, he's not ever been bound in any book. He will not ever be limited by any language. He shall not be constrained by any copyright. The truth is Jesus is closer to you than this book you're reading right now. God has come near Emmanuel. Literally God with us is with you always. He's promised to make his home in you. He's vowed to never leave you or forsake you. For the rest of eternity, you will be in intimate contact with him. He's closer to you than your own breath. He's more real than your own heartbeat. All you can ever do is know him more. Your life and his heart are on an unavoidable collision course. This is what you were created for. His dream is to reveal more of himself to you today. Whatever you do, please do not miss your opportunity to draw closer to Jesus. He's waiting for you just outside the boundary of these pages. Do you see him? Do you hear his voice? Don't be afraid to draw nearer to him. He wants to make himself known to you. That still small voice, it's Jesus. He's so in love with you. He's so overjoyed at the idea of revealing more of himself to you, his beloved. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's forever unbound. That man, that's wonderful right there. That, yeah, he just fist pumped that, that (laughs) right there. I think should have been like the first page, right? Cause like, <laughs> you know, just, just yeah. get it out there, but t- just tell us right up front, Keith, like I can tell that you really love the Lord and that you desire for people to yeah. know him. And so just kind of express that desire to us. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, this is exactly why I wrote the book and, and actually all the books I've written. Um, but, but thank you so much, by the way, for reading that and, and starting off this conversation with that. Cause I think, um, I want people to get that. I think people think, like you said, I haven't read the book, but based on the cover or the subtitle, <laughs> right, I, right. I, you know, well, but see, but then they're missing that. They're missing the fact that I love Jesus and I want people to know him in a real way. And what concerns me is the fact, like, see, like you said, even when you share a quote, even when you share something that is perceived, uh, well, the way people perceive it is when you say something about Jesus being greater than the Bible. What they perceive is that you are putting down the Bible. Right, what they don't right. understand is, no, the Bible is where it is. Leave it exactly where it is. But Jesus is so much better than the book about him. And, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, what I've seen, and because I've got those exact same pushback, those exact right. same arguments from, from other believers, yeah. when I try to elevate Christ above the scriptures and they get that knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> listen, yeah. listen, the, the, here's, what, here's the danger. The danger is... And too many Christians have done this. They have made the menu the meal. They have mm. made the map oh, the treasure. Oh wow! And that is and and listen. If you make the map your treasure, you don't get the treasure. <laughs> you don't get the actual treasure. Dang. If you make the menu the meal, you don't get this amazing meal yeah. that God intends for you to enjoy. That's going to nourish you and fill you and and be this amazing experience. The photograph of of the meal in the menu does not do justice to the actual meal. And that's who Jesus is. That's his experience with Jesus that I feel like people have settled for, they read about it in the Bible and they close the book and they go, wasn't that great? Well, yeah, (laughs) 2000 years ago, that was great. What's happening right now? Are you experiencing Jesus now? And that's what I want people to get to, to move beyond Things about we're, you know, we're going to talk about this in the interview. I'll, I'll have to calm down. I'm getting excited. No, you just but, go <laughs> off. Just go for it. it. Yeah, because it's this idea. You know, it's um, 
again, it's not just information. It's transformation, right? right. Um, you get these kind of pushbacks. I get them all the time. I got them before I was writing the book. Um, I got them when the book came out. So uh, I still get them today. This this thing, you know, of like, well, Keith, you wouldn't know anything about Jesus if it wasn't for the Bible. Right. Uh, that's one of the major pushbacks, you know. And it's like, well, okay, but here's the thing: if that's what you really believe, if you really think that, so is what you're saying is that if I snuck over to your house tonight when you're asleep and I took away all of your Bibles, you would wake up tomorrow morning and have no way to know anything about Jesus. You would have right. no connection to this. Yeah. I hope that that's not true. I hope that just because I've got your Bible, you know, in, in my possession, you still have a connection with Jesus, right? Because it's not about just information. I hope it's something more than that, that it's actually, a, uh, we always say this, right? It's a relationship. Is it? Is it a relationship with a person or with a book? Yeah. Right? So right. that's what I'm wanting people to, to realize is that they're, if they stop at the book, then they've not they've not done what the book is intended to do. I'm going to wrap up in a second. No, totally fine. Uh, because because here's the thing, like, and I say this again all the time. The Bible never points us to the Bible. The right, Bible right. always points us to Christ. And so if we think, oh, I'm people, I, I'm a person of the book. I'm a, I, I follow the book. I yeah. believe the Bible. Do you? Because what the Bible is doing is pointing you to Christ. And if you think the Bible is pointing you back to the Bible, again, you're making the menu the meal. Right. making the map of the treasure and yeah. you missed it. Yeah. And it's hard because honestly, what if, and we've, we've brought this up many times before on the podcast, but it's, it's so typical that if I were to go to say a leader in the church and I said, Hey, you know, I really don't feel like I'm close to God right now. I'm just really struggling in my faith. What are they going to ask you? What are the go-to questions? Right. Have are, you you been, reading, are you reading your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? And that's always yeah. a thing. And so they equate relationship with God with reading the scriptures, which obviously we all know it helps, but you, sure. you can't end on that. Right. right. So, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, no. So yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Well, no, it's one of these things too, where I was just thinking about, <clears throat> I don't think I saw, I, wrote, I posted a blog a couple of days ago. It was a Bible quiz. You see my Bible I quiz? I saw it. I, I, I saw it. It was, th it was three questions and it was like, oh, test right. your Bible knowledge. Test your Bible knowledge. For a Christian, you know, fill in the blank. What is a Christian's source of uh, truth? Uh, what is a Christian's final authority? Um, and I think the other one was, uh, let's see, was a Christian's final truth? What is a Christian's final authority? Um, I can't remember. Right. But it, but, but it was one of these things where, like, typically the Christian response, and I know it because this is what I hear it all the time. The Christian answer to those questions is, what's a Christian's uh, final authority? The Bible. The Bible. What's a Christian's source of all truth? The, the Bible. Bible. Yep. And I can't remember the third question, but again, uh -huh. it was one of those implied Christian answers is sure. the, Bible. the Bible. But yeah. you know what? If I go to the Bible, uh, I hear I read Jesus saying that he's my authority. Right. That all authority has been given to Jesus, Jesus. not to the Bible. Yep. Not to a book that's going to be written about him and canonized you know, 500 years later. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. He's the source of truth. I am the way, Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. So, um, again, we've made the Bible. Uh, it's sort of a substitute. It's the Father, the Son and the Holy Bible. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Have you never heard that? <laughs> yes, I oh, have. Okay. But it just tickles me every time I hear it. Total mic drop, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So what? So help me understand then, like in your in your experience, you've obviously come come across a lot of critics, a lot of questions 
probably a lot of really great conversations surrounding your viewpoint. Um, I want to know two things real quick. When, when in your walk or in your life, did you start considering this topic of, you know, Jesus being the ultimate authority scripture and, you know, kind of developing that. And then the other thing is I, I, and this is a separate question, but I want to know why you think there's so much controversy surrounding it. Like what, what is it? Do you think in people that causes them to put the walls up and the red flags and get the way that they get? Yeah. Good question. So, um, I think it's one of these things probably where I think in practice, I probably was already on this page, but not, I wasn't solidified on it. So I still would, I would still waver a little bit. I talked, so what I talk about in the beginning of the book uh, is the difference between sort of the flat Bible perspective, which is the way I was raised. And I think it's the, it's the view, it's the perspective that most Christians are taught to have. And, um, but then, so the way, the way I came across it was uh, several years ago, I was actually researching a book. The previous book to this one is Jesus Untangled. Uh, and it's about crucifying our politics to pledge allegiance to the Lamb. And at the, I think the second chapter of that book, even though that at that book is about um, faith and politics, um, I started off by saying, I'm taking a, a Jesus-centric view of the Bible, not a flat Bible perspective. And then I explained in the second right. chapter of that book. Right. But again, I only took one chapter. But it was just to sort of say, let's. this is where I'm coming from, just so we're on the same starting point. And again, you may not even agree with me, but this is what I'm doing. I'm taking okay. a Jesus-centered perspective. Sure. Well, I had so many people ask me about that second chapter of Jesus Untangled. about Hey, this flat Bible thing and this Jesus-centric thing, well, let's talk about that. So I realized that was a big, big deal. So that's that I was like, uh, oh, well, my next book has to just only be about that. Uh, but where I, where I first kind of uh, had it spelled out for me, I was doing research and um, I was reading this book on the Anabaptists. So... Uh, it's looking, it's called, it's a book is called the reformers and their stepchildren. I think the author's name is Leonard Verdun. Okay. It's a great, great book. And in that book, it was the first time, um, he, what he did was he was looking historically at the reformers, right? Uh, but he was contrasting them with the Anabaptists. And he said, the main conflict between the Anabaptists and the reformers was this, that the reformers took a flat Bible perspective that every part of Scripture was equal value as everything else. Uh-huh. And that's why they saw things a certain way. But the Anabaptists took a perspective of, of um, they looked at everything through the lens of Christ. And that Jesus was the authority and that the words of Jesus were the top. And then came everything else and everything was understood through the filter of Jesus. Well, until someone had, had said that in those words... That was the first time I realized, oh, there's more than one way to look at the Bible. Yeah, right. And and then when I looked at more at the Anabaptists and the way, and not only the way they did it, but why they did it. And this is what I talk about in my book, is there is there are biblical reasons. Jesus tells us to read, to, to look at things this way. Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us to take this Jesus-centered perspective so, many, many times. So, and so oh, go ahead. it's a biblical perspective. Anyway, go ahead. Well, yeah. I was just going to ask you, so would you just for our listeners, maybe just describe what Jesus, like, what is a, and you you just kind of did, but just I want you to address it one more time, what a Jesus-centric view is. Yes. And just lay that out and define it so it's clear as day. There yes, you thank you. 
Um, but then put a pin in your second question because I want to answer your second question about why people get so upset. Right, gotcha. right, right, right. So, um, so yeah, so let's talk about this Jesus-centric perspective and what it is. So um, Jesus, well, and, and the writers of the gospel, the, the, especially the, uh, the author of uh, you know, John, uh, when he does his gospel, the gospel of John, but, but the other gospels as well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels also, uh, Jesus takes this perspective of, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is a great place. You have heard it said, but I say to you. So Jesus is taking a place of authority. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount ends with the statement that the people marveled because he taught with authority, not the way the Pharisees did. Right. And the teaching of the law did. Well, that authority is this him taking upon himself to say, Moses said this, but I'm telling you something else. Whoa, what's going on? So Jesus does assume, and doesn't he deserve that? Isn't he? God in the flesh? Isn't he the son of God? Isn't he the, right? He's the Logos, right? Yes, that, right. exactly. So he has the authority to do that. Now, um, in the Gospel of John, we have a very powerful statement. I know most Christians just read right over it, gloss right over it. But in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, I think it's the sixth verse, uh, John says, no man has ever seen God at any time except for the son that's Jesus, yeah. who came for the purpose of making him known to us. That is a massive statement. But that is the that he begins the Gospel of John with this massive statement, and everything he says after that is bearing witness to that. Like Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which means until you've seen Jesus, you haven't seen the Father. You right. don't know the Father. Um, and there are many, many other places. The other, the other strongest image uh, of this Jesus-centric perspective is at the Mount of Transfiguration. When um, Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain with Jesus, Jesus is transfigured before them. They see Moses and they see Elijah. Now, that's not a mistake. Moses, it's not random. It's not like, oh, which Old Testament people were not busy that day? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's funny, yeah. yeah. Right? It's, Wish it's, something it's would very happen. intentional. Right. Yeah, it's very intentional. Moses stands for the law. Uh -huh. And Elijah stands for the prophets, the right. law and the prophets. That's the old covenant scripture. Right. So here, here, Peter makes this flat Bible mistake that we all make. Peter sees the law, the prophets, and Jesus, and he says, "Let's make a make a tabernacle, one for each of you, all on the same level." Right. And he thinks he's honoring Jesus. He thinks he's saying, "Jesus, you're almost as great as Moses. You know what? You're just as good as Moses and Elijah. <laughs> yeah. We'll put you right up there with those two guys." Silly Peter. And, Right. And how does the father respond? He removes Moses. He removes Elijah. He removes the law, removes the prophets. Only Jesus remains. And he says, this is my son. Listen to, to him. him. Yeah. With whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. Yes. And right. so this is the, this is the, we're, this is where we're being told. Jesus is our authority. Jesus is what we, uh, we start with. We abide in him. And the more we know him and abide in him and he abides in us, this is how we are we, we understand, we can understand all the scriptures. Now, one last thing. Paul also makes a very powerful statement uh, when he says, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians, when he says, um, he says, to this day, when the old covenant is scriptures are read, he says, a veil covers right. our eyes or yeah. their eyes. And he says, only in Christ is the veil removed. Mm. So what is that telling me? That tells me if I attempt, if anybody tries to read and understand the old covenant scriptures without reading them through the lens of Christ, 
you're going to misunderstand it. You're going to get it wrong. Yeah. Can you and cl- so we have to do that. We can have you to clarify? Can you clarify? Somebody asked, removes the law, question mark. You're talking about Moses going away and, and Elijah going away when they're on the mountain of transfiguration, right? Yes. And can we go into that? Because I talk about this in the book. Yeah, this is go, go for it, Do yep. it. Because again, we mostly have Christians. That, I think if you take a flat Bible perspective, you you misunderstand the fact that we're under a new covenant. You misunderstand that the old covenant is obsolete. That's not my word. That's from the Bible. That's from the New Testament. Yeah. The book of Hebrews says that the old covenant is obsolete. Paul says in two different places, and I outline this in the book, uh, that he he contrasts the new covenant with the new the old covenant. And when he talks about the old covenant, he says it's, it's diminishing, it's fading, it's 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 disappearing, it's going away. Uh, and but when he talks about the new covenant, he says it's everlasting, it's enduring, right? It brings life. The old covenant brings death. It's it's a it's sure. it's a very strong can, contrast. So, can can I add so, a scripture to that? Because I I've wondered yeah. if you I'm sure you've read this, but Romans seven six, and I think it fits. Tell me if you don't think so. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Yes, and I think also in Romans it says that Christ is the end of the law. Uh-huh. Um, so let me let me go back to the Sermon on the Mount, because this is something, by the way, that a lot of Christians, we totally miss this, and I know we miss it, because it's probably one of the number one verses that people will quote to me when I suggest that the Old Covenant is obsolete, the way it says in Hebrew. So, yeah, okay. Um, They'll say, but wait a minute. No, 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 no. At the beginning of his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows up and he says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And not one jot, not one stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until all is accomplished. Right. Right. So, Keith, has heaven and earth disappeared? No. (laughs) Therefore, the law is still in effect because that's what Jesus said, right? No. That isn't what Jesus said. And it's because we missed that there are two until statements in jesus's speech in his so first of all he says i've not come to come to abolish the law and that's true he didn't come to abolish it he came to fulfill it and then he says that nothing will pass away from the law and first he says you know until heaven or pass away not one stroke of a pet but then the second until is until all is accomplished or fulfilled yep so let me ask you did jesus promise did he even say in that very statement I came to fulfill the law. The law. Yes, he did. My second question is, did he? Did he accomplish his mission? Did he fulfill his mission to accomplish the law like he said he did? Yeah, well, absolutely. according to the Gospel of John, in two different places, Jesus absolutely says, yes, I accomplished everything the Father sent me to do. And therefore, Jesus' own words at the beginning of his ministry is this. Nothing's going to pass away until I, I came to fulfill it, and it's not going to pass away until I do fulfill it. And now, did he fulfill it? Yes, he did. Right. So now, now that he's fulfilled it, now what? It's obsolete, the as it says gone. in Hebrews. Yeah, it's Hebrew, vanishing, right, as Paul right. says. Right. It is gone, and now we are under a new covenant. Right, covenant of grace in the Spirit. Yes. Yeah. Not the Ten Commandments. So Christians no. all the time will say, we'll fight for the Ten Commandments. We want the Ten Commandments. It's all about, you know, what's a, what's a Christian's ethical standard, the Ten Commandments? No, the Sermon on the Mount. We're following Christ, we're following Jesus. Right. And so that's our standard, not the Ten Commandments. Yep. So so one of the comments that came in it says he hasn't returned to consummate that truth. So I think that's a comment that's saying until he returns, then that will be the truth. Then then yeah, his mission. But that's is not what Jesus complete. says. I mean, I understand if someone believes that, if that's their theology, 
But if you just read the statement, Jesus, Jesus sets the parameters. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. That's my purpose. And right. until heaven and earth disappear, it will not fade away until it is accomplished. What did he say on the cross? It, it is, is accomplished. Yeah. It is finished. He says he finished it. He says he accomplished it. And I would say that the apostles who wrote the epistles after him confirmed. also affirmed yeah. it was accomplished and is fulfilled. So, right, this probably comes down to a matter of how you interpret, how one would interpret what it is that Jesus meant to be accomplished. Well, it also, it also I think, is like going to that question, like someone who would say, well, he hasn't returned yet. Because in other words, I think in their thinking, the kingdom, uh, the kingdom hasn't come until Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. And so that's also, I think, a misunderstanding. I, I believe that when Jesus showed up, he came to announce the kingdom. It was a herald. Yeah, it had come, and it's still coming, and it has been coming ever since. And it's, it's this little seed, that, that little mustard seed that starts small, but then it eventually grows to cover the whole earth. It's that little bit of yeast that, that looks like nothing, but when it enters the lump of dough, it eventually covers the entire lump of dough. The kingdom is that way. It came very small, one person, one message, one gospel, and it's been spreading to cover the planet ever since. Yeah, you'll definitely have to go back and read these comments after we're done with the feed. So maybe you can give a little bit more insight if you'd like. But um, I would love to. And if you want to read more, I'm happy to yeah, respond. No, that's totally fine. Um, so it, dive in just a little bit then. Uh, oh, let me let me make a statement. So something that I learned was that, uh, you know, Moses goes to the top of the mountain, he receives the law, he comes down with the Ten Commandments, and he's got this word from the Father for uh, the people, and so he issues the law. Well, then uh, Pentecost is when they would celebrate the giving of the law to the Israelites. But on the day of Pentecost, after Christ has ascended, the Holy Spirit comes, and they're baptized with tongues of fire, right? The Holy Spirit comes, and they receive power to be witnesses. Well, I see that as a fulfillment of... Um, the prophecy that says, and I will give them new hearts. I will take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in them. I'll cause them to walk in my ways. I will write my law on their hearts. So we no longer need a written code. We live by the spirit. So on the same day where they would commemorate the giving of the law, the Holy Spirit comes to, to fulfill the giving of the law on the hearts and not to the hands, right? Yeah. And see, and Paul, Paul uses that exact imagery he talks about how he goes, um, he says, you are uh, our letter written not on tablets of stone. What is that? The Ten Commandments. Right. But right. On, t- on, the, on the human heart. Yeah. Right? It's exactly what you just said. Right. Um, and, and it's what the new covenant is all about. This is what drives me insane. We don't understand. <laughs> Tell, us, Tell us. We don't understand the new covenant if we don't, I mean, what is the new covenant? It's, it's, it's stated in Jeremiah and it's restated for us again in Hebrews. Jesus, when he's, you know, the whole thing about him. This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This bread is my body. Right, right. He, he declares and establishes the new covenant. But what is the new covenant? It's like we just said, where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, he, right. and part of that is no one will inquire of their neighbor, tell uh, me about God, because they will all know me directly one on one. So that's the, that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now it's possible that everyone, can know God directly. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice hear and my they voice, know me, right, right. that's the promise of the yeah, new covenant, that right. we can directly hear his voice. Now, I love the Bible. I'm so glad we have it. Yes. I'm so thankful for the Bible. It's wonderful. It's a great, great, beautiful gift. But that's not the only way 
I can hear the voice of God. Like I said, if I took your Bible away, I hope you could still have some connection with yeah, God through the Holy it's, Spirit. Right. It's like your SOL. My One of my arguments is, let's say um, Ubuntu in Zimbabwe. That's just the name I came up with in the country I chose. Um, somebody in the middle of the jungle, somebody comes, somehow learns their language, preaches Christ to them. They have revelation of Jesus. He, they know, gnosko Christ in that moment. Yes. Um, and then they don't have the scriptures translated in their in their language, are they just SOL as Christians? Sorry, yep. Ubuntu, you don't get to know the fullness of God because you don't have scriptures in your language. Sorry, I guess that's your persecution and suffering <laughs> on earth. You know what I mean? Well, no, yep. the spirit of God is going to continue to, as was laid as the precedence of how God revealed himself to people in the past by sending a spirit, but now ultimately giving us Christ. And now yes. Christ then continuing to reveal himself to people by the Holy Spirit. I don't think people... You know, they're not SOL if they don't have the scriptures. Yeah, they might miss out on a rich resource that would point them, but also the spirit of God is the primary arrow to point them to Jesus. Right. And, and you know, just think about it like that, too. Like, you know, you read the book of Acts and you have Paul and Barnabas um, and sometimes Mark, you know, going out, traveling to all these different places. What are they doing? Are they passing out Bibles? <laughs> no, because no one had those. There weren't any, you know, yeah. and um is what were they doing, right? Yeah, they they yeah. were still, they were preaching the gospel and, and they were establishing churches without Bibles thus, and then they would leave and come back like over a year later. And these people, these, these uh, communities of faith are thriving around what? There's no book to read. Right. There's no Bible to read. Right. Well, what is there? The spirit of the living God. Yes. They have a connection with Jesus right. that's real and vibrant and, 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 and actual. Yeah. And so that's what they're leaving is the gospel in the presence of Christ. And right. So you, wow, get, you get a full picture then in the book of Acts. So a lot of people say, well, it's the Acts of the Apostles. Well, it's the Acts of the Spirit. So Jesus' promise comes true, and then there's this entire book that is a narrative of what happened when the Spirit of God came and entered people in the way that Jesus promised, and it flipped the entire religious order upside down. They had their scriptures to that time that led them to be the kind of religious situation they were. And obviously it was not good for life, right? It was only good for law and death. And so right. then all of a sudden Jesus sends the spirit, which is life fulfills the promise. And then all of a sudden you've got this vibrant bolstering community of love and sharing and giving and gathering and learning and obviously what the spirit does. And so, yeah, we get yeah. an image of what that looks like. Yeah. Amen. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I think, um, that's what I'm just trying to get people to understand. The Bible is great. I love the Bible. Like I say in the book, I, I go, I think I, I think I do start the book talking about just how much I love it. I do love the Bible. You do, I read yeah. it all the time. You talked about your right. first experience. I'm always talking stuff. about it. Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah. And so, obviously we always go back to the scriptures too. It's like we have mm -hmm. them, we're utilizing them. We're just really trying to redeem the truth of of what they're pointing to. Right? So I want right. to, I want to go a direction if you're okay with that. So, well, I, I was, I wondered if we wanted to talk real quick about, you know, still, why do people get so upset? Like, what is well, it about? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a quick one because I think sure. all that, all it really is, is um, people get upset because they, I mean, many people, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but I think a lot of people get upset because they kind of have made the Bible an idol. They kind of have made the book. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen this or experienced this. This is, again, as I was, when I, the more I was convinced that I needed to write the book, it was because I kept, I would just hear in the real world as well as online, Christians say things and talk about the book like it's like it's a magical book. 
Like I literally had someone say that if if the oh if you just put the Bible on your table and leave it open, uh-huh. then like blessings are gonna like what are you talking about? Yes, oh, I want that one. Yeah, the Bible <laughs> will change your life, and I, I read quotes all the time about like you know Which I would version? believe those. Yeah, <laughs> I would believe those quotes if you just change the word Bible with Jesus, because yes, Jesus will. Yeah, the Bible is a book, and I go and I go through the book in my book. I go like you know the Word of God loves you, the Bible doesn't love you. Right, right. The Word of God is a person. And I and think that, that this like, is a great time for us to, for I mean, I'd love to have you talk about the Word of God, you know. I don't know what that is. Where is that coming from? I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. Not me. Oh, oh it was that's his, me. He Sorry, that was my phone. book listening at like 10 <laughs> speeds. I, I, I must like, have hit Jesus? a button. That's Holy hilarious. Spirit? What? What Actually, that? that was Heretic Happy Hour at like three times the speed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but That's why I listened to it. I think this would be a, a great time for you to talk about knowing like the word of God versus the word of God, essentially mm-hmm. uh, the word of God, the person and the word of God, how people would say, Oh, I'm reading the word of God or I'm, I'm preaching from the word of God, or I was reading this the other day in the word of God. So can you uh, distinguish those two for us? Sure. Well, um, I don't go into super detail in my book about it, but there are books that, that really will go into pretty, pretty well make establish the case. Like, so it's popular, traditional, you know, Christianese, if you will, for Christians to refer to the Bible as the Word of God. But again, the, the Bible doesn't really refer to itself that way. Right. Most of the time when you see the phrase, the Word of God, um, in the Old Testament, again, it's not talking about the, the written scriptures. It's saying, it's like the message of God, the voice of God. Um, in the New Testament, when you read Word of God, it either is referring to the gospel message itself, basically the spoken message of the word of God, or it's talking about Jesus. It's specifically talking about Christ. Um, One of the most famous ones is the one in Hebrews, right, where it says, and we quote it all the time, the word of God is a double-edged sword, you know, capable of dividing between bone and marrow. Uh, Well, it's not, that's not talking about a book, which by the way, that book, when that verse was written, didn't exist in any canonical form. So, and if you keep reading that verse, it switches to he, well, oh, right. who's yes. he? Oh, Jesus, it's Jesus. Right. Well, so again, we we your, your have book is to a, do that. Your Bible is a boy Bible. He. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not he. It's not he. The Bible is he. Jesus, it's Christ. Yes. So um, again, we we've made that distinction. We've sort of popularized the term. The word, of, word God. of God. So this is almost um, like one of those the uh, the the church in the church. Not like I'm going. It's kind of one of those things. It kind of yes. like just a discrepancy amongst what you would consider something. And so right. uh, in popular Christianese, the word of God is right. the Bible. Yeah. But right. that's no, not right. that's, what the word of God is in the word of God. That's right. And that's, that's a great, you made a great analogy too with the, the church. That's another great analogy where uh, again, the Bible doesn't ever call the church that big stone building with the steeple on the corner that people right. meet in on Sunday mornings, you know, and have three services and no, that's not what that's not what the scriptural New Testament concept of church. The word church actually isn't even in there. That's ecclesia, right. and it's a <clears throat> gathering, and it just means the people. It's the people of God, right? Uh, and and they could be meeting under a tree or sure. in a garage or or a coffee shop. It doesn't matter where they're meeting. It's who they are and what they do when they gather. Yeah, yeah. And that's the quote unquote church or ecclesia. Right. Let me let but, me present something because I, I kind of wondered if you would actually go into go into this in your book and, and you you didn't. And I feel like it's a really 
uh, it's a distinguishing factor because this is kind of where I started my study and really wondering about redeeming the language. I'm all about redeeming the language. I, I no longer say word of God. I say the scriptures, the scriptures tell us. I rarely ever say even the Bible tells us or, you know, from the word of, we're reading from the word of God. John writes Paul or Paul writes, you know, things like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'll yeah. say those kinds yeah. of things, but I'm all about redeeming language. So even uh, you in the scripture, you have two different words for word in the Greek. You have logos and you have rhema, but then you also have an additional word that is scripture. So why is it that when we see word of God, we translate it scripture when it's not translated scripture and it's very, it's distinguished where, uh, you know, you, you bring this up later. We can talk about this where Paul writes to Timothy and he says the living, uh, uh, every, all scriptures, God breathed right. and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and, and righteousness. this was something that I wanted to talk about the God breathed section, because okay. this is well, real big with people. Yeah. So let so let's back up yeah. though. So all scriptures, God breathed. So he didn't say yes. the word of God is God breathed. It's nope. scripture. That's God breathed. But then in, but that word in, isn't scripture there. He doesn't, the word scripture does not appear in the original Greek. Oh, that, it doesn't? What does it say? You oh, know? this is huge, man. Uh, uh, drop it on us. So the word scripture isn't in there. And actually, it's actually the word, it's the common word for writings. Ah. It's, it's graphis. Uh-huh. And so um, the, the more, a more accurate way to translate that passage would be all the writings that are God breathed are useful, useful for, for instruction. Oh, so wow. Words, so there's a qualifier. What they are. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, well, it's not even the word scripture. See, uh-huh. we have, we've translated it as, oh, let's, this is about the Bible. Let's make this verse about scripture. But right. again, it's not the word oh, for scripture. It's right. the word for right. writing. Right. So what it really, what that verse really does is open it up. If you really read what, how it's really written, uh-huh. all, all the God breathed writings. What are those? I don't know. I guess we need to use some spiritual discernment to determine. <laughs> and, and, how, and, and part of it is how will we know that this is a God-breathed writing? Right. Because it's useful and profitable for instruction and teaching and right. rebuking. So in other words, you determine what is God-breathed right, yeah. by whether or not it's something, it's a spiritual thing that uh-huh. you're discerning. Right. Again, I think this is, by the way, why when Paul is in, uh, in Athens, right, and he quotes... Uh, one of their own poets to right. them. Yep. Uh, and, and again, because because again, why? Because in that moment, it's useful, and it's something the spirit is going to use to open their minds and open their hearts. So let's let me let me one more thing. Sure. I want us to think about this idea of inspiration because this this to me is a key uh, a key misunderstanding of the the concept of what we mean when we say the Bible is inspired. Okay. Okay. Because typically when we say well, the Bible is inspired, therefore, we think that means it's it's uh, inerrant, infallible, can't be wrong about anything. Ooh, there's inerrancy. Uh, and God, and, Let's go. And it means, and it means God wrote it. Right. So, let me, so let me just for a second, and I mean this. This is real, and, and I've actually experienced stuff like this, and you probably have too. If I'm in my car, and I'm driving down the road, and I flip on the radio, and I hear a song, and it's not the Christian radio station. It's just some random secular station. And I hear this song and the words of this song start to really penetrate my heart. I start to weep. I feel in that moment, in that car, that the God, the creator of the universe right now is using the words of that song to speak to me something powerful and moving that mm-hmm. really touches me and really speaks to me yeah. and maybe even unlocks something I've been praying about or worried about or concerned about. And God uses that song, the lyrics of that song in that moment. Boom, perfect timing. There it is. Now yeah. I would, when I arrived at your house, and got out of the car, 
I'd walk up to your house and say, man, I just heard the most inspired thing. God just spoke to me through the song. And if you said to me, Keith, so did God write that song? <laughs> no, God didn't write it. Well, it, but is that song inspired? I mean, is, is that song inerrant? Is that song infallible? What are you talking about? That has nothing to do with what, what just happened. <laughs> what just happened was God used those words in that moment to speak to me a, a truth that was that set me free, that, that was encouraging to me, and it was from God to me through those words or through that song. Right. That's inspiration. Uh-huh. And inspiration doesn't mean God wrote it, and it doesn't mean it's inerrant and infallible. Those questions don't even apply right. in that. It, it, it's like it's inerrant or infallible for me in that moment. Yes, I guess, yeah. because it, it spoke to me. It was God speaking to me in that moment, and I, I understood it. Right. But it's not, again, I think we take this and we've, uh, we've taken canonization because the Bible has been canonized. Right. And I, go into the book a little bit about even why we have so much faith in that process. Right, right? yeah. Does right. anyone right now, could you name for me, if yeah. you believe in that? Who are those guys? Name for me, who are those guys? What gave them the authority? Who, what made them so great? How, were, how did they have the authority? Who, who decided they uh, were the guys to decide for the rest of us for all time and eternity that these and only these were the inspired writings? Right. We don't know, but yeah. we just... Is our faith then in the Bible or in those nameless right. guys? We don't even know their names, mm-hmm. but, we, right. but my faith is in them. That they and you go they into doing. a lot of detail into that in the book, and that was super eye-opening for me as you walked through the canonization process and all of that. And you, you know, you even talked about that. Somebody, somebody brought up um, actually a name that you address in your book. I, it just went away on the screen. Marcion. 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 Do you want to read Marcian. that comment? Marcion did that, and he was deemed as a heretic. Oh, let's thank you. Oh, bring it on, man! <laughs> yes. I love this. Uh, here's the thing. Here, yes and no. So much um, <laughs> people love to use Marcion because he was the first heretic. And what people he was the OG, the original heretic. Oh, he's the original. He was, <laughs> he's the original man. He's the oh, he's wow. the saint of heretics. Yes. Um, and so here's what Marcion's heresy was not that he noticed that there was a difference between the way Jesus communicated the Father uh, and God, and who God was and the way the rest of the Old Testament scriptures communicated who God was. Every early church father noticed that and wrote about that and talked about that. That in itself was not Martian's heresy. Martian's heresy was, and this is this is it, and this is why Tertullian and Ignatius and all these other guys called Martian heretic, because Martian noticed what they all noticed, which was that Jesus talks about a, a God one way, being loving and forgiving and full of mercy and grace, but that doesn't seem to be the, God, the same God we see described in the Old Testament scriptures. Martian's heresy was to say that that Old Testament God was a demon or a, a false God. Right. And that the only God was Jesus. That the, the only God was the, Jesus, the, the God that Jesus presented. Uh-huh. That's his heresy. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I would right. never say that. Yeah. That's, yep. I, I, so it's not, this is not what Marcion, uh, I'm not doing what Marcion did. I'm not saying that. Right, right. Are you going somewhere? Yeah, I, I want. I want to go back because I was still getting into. Um, I was getting into the the meaning of the word logos and then the word rhema. Yeah. And so you have the scripture that defines logos for us, and it makes it the person of Christ. So yes. I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong. A good hermeneutic then would to be to read in Christ everywhere. There's a scripture that uses logos rather than Rhema. Is that right? Yeah. So then, I think, yeah. so yeah, so Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know which one that is? 
Is it logos? It's Rama. Is it Rama? It's oh. Rama. So the the words that come from the mouth of God are good for life. The scriptures are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The scriptures are not good for life, or else the scriptures would have told us the scriptures are good for life. Interesting. The word of God. And so this is the way I put it. Whenever God speaks a living word, because that's what the rhema is, a, a, a saying, a spoken, it's, it's not the logos, a thought or a saying, right? It's, it's the spoken word to my understanding. And so if God speaks to me, the living God speaks to me and I hear his voice, I'm going to have life because he has just revealed himself to me. And how yes. could I be dead? When the creator speaks a rhema to the dead, it comes to life. I think yes. that's how he pulled Lazarus out of the grave. Yeah. He used a spoken life giving rhema word to pull him forth. And so th it's interesting yeah. that there's a delineation though, between scripture, logos and rhema. And so I think you have to really do your good study and go and see where rhema is being used versus where logos is being used and realize that when scripture is used, it's not talking about logos or rhema. Yeah, no, that's good. And I've not done that study, but that sounds really, really awesome. I, and I think you're right. I love what you said though, about, uh, about it being life. I think that's one of those things where um, we can discern when we hear something, is this, is that does this give life, right? Or is it death? Because it's either life or death. It's either speaking life right, to me right. or death to me. And if it's death to me, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. But here's uh, the thing, I want, though. I want life. The Father can use Scripture to bring life. That's yes. the difference between an atheist reading the entire Bible and putting it down and be like, meh, and somebody right. who the Lord is revealing himself to and reading through Scripture and saying, wow. Mm -hmm. It's the complete. That's the difference, right. right? Yes. I've just been sitting here patiently. You go for <laughs> it. Can I go? I'm go, so sorry. Please, please. You, you, you. Well, you were starting to go down um, the trail of the Old Testament, and we started talking about inerrancy. And so, mm -hmm. I would really love it if you could talk a little bit about um, inerrancy, um, because you have a very interesting view on the Old Testament. Um, that almost in a, in a way, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, yeah, oh boy. I'm about to crack it wide open. Get me in trouble um, here. Yeah. Here almost come. in a way redeems, uh, there's been a sect of people that I know that have walked away from, from the faith and from Jesus, from God, because when they read about the God of the old Testament, they cannot reconcile the fact that the God that they read about in the new Testament is so much different. So inerrancy comes into play with this, because I think that when we read the old Testament, we take it as a literal, this is what God said. And there's you point out loads and loads and loads of contradiction in scripture. Um, and I know we don't have time to get into all of that, but would you talk about your view of the old Testament and, and the way that they viewed God, the things that they did, the wars that they fought, all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is, you're right. And this is where a lot of people, <clears throat> if you, again, if you still hold on to this flat Bible perspective, I'm about to say some things about the Old Testament scriptures that you are not going to be comfortable with. Yeah. But it's this. If I'm, if my perspective, which again, I think this is what Jesus says, this is what the Gospels affirm, it's what Paul affirms. Paul, right, we start yeah, with you talked Christ, about that. We start with Jesus, we read those Old Testament scriptures, starting with Jesus through the lens of Christ. Now, if I'm doing that, and I come to an Old Testament passage that, for example, tells me that whoever this guy is who wrote this Old Testament passage, He's telling me that God told the God's people, take your sword, go next door to your to this other this other village that lives, you know, a few few miles away. 
I want you all to go over there and knock on the door. I want you to kill every man, but every woman, even if she's pregnant, I want you to split her open, kill the toddlers, kill the babies. By the way, warning, and it says this, do not show mercy. You better not show mercy. And after you slaughtered every single human being in that place, including the babies and the children, I want you to go out in the backyard. I want you to kill every dog, cow, cat, chicken, bird, kill. I want you to absolutely murder and destroy everything. Yeah. Does that sound like Jesus? Would you, if Jesus, if you were praying and you were connected and you were <laughs> hearing the voice of Jesus and you were in worship and you were, you were having this beautiful time with Jesus and you, Jesus, is that something you think Jesus would ever tell you to do? I don't think so. Well, I, then I would say we have the right to reject that and say, that's what that guy thought God wanted them to do. That may be how they justified that kind of behavior. But I would say Jesus would look at that and say, no, that's not who Abba is. Because and, Jesus would say, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. Right. Boom. Yes. So so we have a question. Why did he tell them to do that? What was the re- what was God's reasoning for telling them to do that? I, God didn't tell them to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That That's what they believed God was telling them to do. Um, and, let me, and let me also though say, let me say this, by the way, too. There's a um, there's an excellent Benjamin Corey. You mentioned him. Yes. Benjamin Corey has an excellent little YouTube clip, and I think he was in the Jordanian. He's in the Jordanian Museum, and there's this huge. Um, oh, where's it from? I think it's from the King, the Midian, the Midianites. I think I think it's the Midianites. It's right. this huge marble thing, and it's in their language, and in and it's uh it's dated at the time. Uh, of the Israelites, one of the, you know, the kingdoms uh, of Israel, I think probably another time of David. And anyway, it's, uh, it's, but it's from the Midianite perspective. And right. in that thing, it says that the Midianites went to war with the Jewish people, the Israelites, and they absolutely destroyed them. They killed every man, woman, child, and they wiped them off the face of the earth. Well, we know that's not true. But the point is, that's how people spoke back then. And listen, it's to the same level of saying, dude, did you see the Clippers playing the Knicks last night? The Clippers, they destroyed the they Knicks. They dominated they, them. They, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> do I mean that they literally murdered them? Easily I might even punked. say that. They murdered them. <laughs> well, no, it's just hyperbole. Right, it's right. The way that, and by the way, that's how people in the, in the ancient world spoke. And so when we have an, uh, an example like that, and I love that Benjamin McCrory recorded the video. He's standing right next to it. He reads what it says, and he says, that's just how they talk. We know that they didn't kill every single uh, Israelite man, woman, and child, but that's the way they spoke. They wanted uh, to give the impression that they utterly destroyed them. Right. Well, and, and, and so that's possibly what's happening in those Old Testament passages, that the, those people at that time, when they were writing about, we went to war with these people, and we destroyed every last one. And God told us to. It was God's blessing for us to do it. Right. Okay. And so for people, there are there are some people that I guarantee you this is resonating with. There are some people that are going, oh my gosh, this is, nope, nope. I'm reject, reject, reject. Yeah, la, la, I la, 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 I can't hear you. La, la, you know, I do, I that do type of thing. That. So, so, okay. Now, for the people that are still holding on to inerrancy <laughs> yeah. and, and are going, well, no, no, that's not the case. You Could you pick a few uh, of, of some contradictions that are in scripture and, yeah. and lay those out for people? Because I, I, I will say this. One of the things that I appreciated most about your book, uh, Keith, is that you, 
you lay out and bring so much scripture. You put it out there. I mean, and then it's there for us to pick whatever version we want to go read it out of and to see that there are clear contradictions in scripture. Some of the most notable ones are the ones about sacrifices and then the one about the census. Those are the two that come to mind. I mean, you could pick any of them, but I think that those two, you can go and look at that and then boom, you, you got it. Yeah. It's hard to hold no. on to in- inerrancy when you read very clearly that there are multiple dozens and dozens of contradictions. I'll let you right. speak. <laughs> yeah. No, well, you're right. And so there's there's contradictions to the level of, you know, uh, how many fighting men did David have? Well, it depends on if you read it in the book of Chronicles or if you read it in the book of Kings, uh, because one says one and one says another. How many horses did he have? How many chariots did he have? Again, all those numbers vary wildly depending on which book you're reading. Um, and and they, those are just kind of minor, sort of minor things. But they're both talking read, about the same account, though. Um, I believe so. Yes, because okay. if you read them chronologically, if you read them side by side, Kings and Chronicles, uh, they're following. They're almost you, it's almost the same thing twice. Oh, okay. Now, by the way, let me say, uh, if you really want to have your mind blown, uh-huh. there's an excellent book called Who Wrote the Bible, uh, and I didn't even go into this in my book because it's just so much I couldn't put it in this book. But um, it will really help you or destroy you. It depends uh, how, how you take it. But it's an excellent book. It's called Who Wrote the Bible by Richard Elliott Friedman. And what he does is talk about the Old Testament scriptures. And he points out all those discrepancies, but he has a beautiful way of explaining why there are two separate accounts of some of the stories, sometimes even in the same book. You'll read the story in chapter three, and then in chapter four, it repeats it again. Or sometimes in chapter, you know, in, in the same chapter, they, you know, and you probably notice this if you read the Old Testament, you know, David went down and did blah, 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 and you read the whole thing. And then all of a sudden it tells you the whole thing again. Uh-huh. Like, why, why are you telling me twice? Well, there's a reason for that. Um, the, the quick version is there was um, there was a time when Israel was divided in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ah. Those in the southern kingdom had the temple. And so they wrote from the perspective and they talk about this. You can see it in the in the scriptures that they had that when they wrote the same story, uh, because they all had the same stories over the same people. But when they told the story, they emphasized that you had to have the priest, you had to do something at the temple. The temple was central. But if it was in the northern kingdom, because they didn't have those things, they would emphasize how God is everywhere. You don't need to be in the temple, and you know God speaks to all of us. Right, right. But then when the two kingdoms were merged together, someone literally took the northern kingdom scriptures. And the Southern Kingdom scriptures, and rather than try to reconcile them into one single book, literally sewed them together so that you're reading <laughs> the Northern Kingdom story, and now here the Southern Kingdom and version. And there's the other right, right. Southern Kingdom version and the Southern. So that's a that's a very very simplified version of of the of that perspective. But in so those those kinds of discrepancies. That's one thing. The other thing that you mentioned was the sacrifice. Now that's a bigger thing because the so if you ask the question, does does God command animal sacrifice? The answer is different if you ask Moses than if you ask Hosea or if you ask Isaiah or if you ask King David. Uh, some say, absolutely, yes, you had better sacrifice animals and here's how you better do it. And that and God said that God and said God to. God said it. Yes, God commanded it. And then, but then when you go and read it in Isaiah, it's like God says, I never said that. I never command, never, never entered my mind. The thought never came to my mind to command you to do those things. And Hosea says, no, God doesn't want those things either. Uh, David affirms that too. God, you know, the blood of bull and, bulls and goats, you never want it, never required. So, so how do you, somebody asked the question and, and I think it, this is relevant at this moment in time. He says, so Moses 
heard God. Um, he says, so Moses just made a mistake and misunderstood, but somehow God speaks to him on other occasions and he nails it. Yes. Um, let, let's let's uh, think of it like this. We're all human beings. Moses is a human being. Uh, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, human beings. They sometimes hear what they believe is the word of God, and they and 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 often uh, it may be a genuine word from God, but it's also filtered through their understanding of what God is like. So, for example, with Abraham. Um, who is the first one we have this example that God, you know, Yahweh reveals himself to Abram and, and speaks to him um, and begins to reveal himself to him. Well, what in Abram's mind is God? Well, God is a male, uh, powerful deity who now if you're going to worship any God, that God or any God, how do you worship that God? Well, you go grab an animal and you cut his throat and you pour the blood out and you start a fire. Yeah. Because that's how worship, that is worship. There's no right. other kind of worship. Right. And in Abraham came from Abraham came from a culture too, to where he before you know committed solely to Yahweh. Like he was, yeah. he had a plethora of other gods. And so I'm sure that there sure. was some. Okay, let me. This is how I'm used to worshiping gods. Let me bring this over. You got Moses, who was an Egyptian, who worshipped yes. all these other gods. And so some of that probably bled into that. And so. The hard part about this is, is I know that in, in one of the guests or one of the watchers is saying this, like literally a verse in number said, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, and then he's, you know, how do you discern if it's genuine or not? And I think that this is the hard part about all of this is because we as Christians and in the church have been groomed for so long to just be right, right? Like we got to be right. We got to have this and it. This is where the relationship aspect takes place and comes into yes. it. Um, well, you, go for it. You talk so about would, in your I book. Would, can, like, I just, can I just respond to that? Yeah, yeah, go quick? ahead. Sorry. Because I think this is, a, you're, you're, this is a great point. Well, you know, because, well, Keith, number says this. God spoke to Moses. Okay, I know that it says that. But now let's read what it says. And if I read something in Numbers or in Exodus or Deuteronomy that says, for example, something like I already said before, God commands you to go and slaughter and kill babies and pregnant children and don't show mercy. I thought God didn't change. I thought that no one has ever seen God at any time except only, only Jesus. Jesus came to make the Father known to us. If we already knew who the Father was like, why is Jesus showing up to tell us who the Father really is like? Because we're wrong about that. Why are we wrong about that? Because the only witnesses we had were guys who were human, who were who were uh, made mistakes, who had their understanding, their limited understanding of who they the best they can do is say, well, I think God's like this. My experience of God is like that. But they're not right. Jesus shows up to clear, to make it clear, to say, here's what the father is like. And he tells us uh, the story of the prodigal son. Or Jesus just says, look at me. I only do what I've seen the father right, do. Right, right. I, I, and so so when we have all these Old Testament examples of these, um, I, I had one in my head and I, I just lost it. But there's there's another Old Testament passage. Oh, here's one. Um Another contrasting. Jesus does this all the time, right? When he, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, "An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth." Quotes Moses. Right. But I say to you, and he gives us a different command. Even when he says, "If you love your enemies, uh, you'll be doing what God is doing," and then he uses this example because God brings rain on the just and on the unjust, and that is a direct contradiction to Moses because Moses says in Deuteronomy that God only brings rain on the just and on the unjust. He will bring famine and he'll dry up their crops. 
Jesus contradicts that in the same in that same sentence and says, no, I'll tell you what the father is like. He brings rain on the just and on the unjust. He contradicts Moses. So we we constantly have these things. There's also um, I think it's also in it may be numbers or it may be Exodus. I can't remember uh, where again, Moses, God tells Moses, God says that the lame, the infirmed, uh, those who have been who their testicles are crushed. Uh, eunuchs and all these kind of things they cannot come near to god they cannot come near to the temple they're unclean is that how jesus treats the people that are lame is that how jesus treats people that are different that are that have that have uh, birth defects or that kind of thing absolutely not jesus contradicts that jesus says no i i'm going to go to those people i'm going to seek those people out we have commands about this you know um i think it is i think it, this is an exact a direct correlation when um, Elijah wants to call down fire, uh, I believe it's on like the same region of people that will end up becoming the Samaritans later. Well, then with James and John, they say to Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven as it is written? It's written in the Old Testament that we have the authority to call down fire from heaven upon these pagan people. And Jesus' response is what? You don't know what spirit you're of. Oh, wow. So what spirit was Elijah of when he did that? Jesus says it wasn't the spirit of my father. So listen again, Jesus is, yes, yeah. he makes a difference. Jesus shows up and he, he is the one who has the authority to say, this is what God is like. And therefore God is not the way you've been told. Right. In some of the things you've read. Now, not all of them, right? right. We have right. lots of really beautiful examples that do correlate with what Jesus yeah. uh, reveals to us. So how do we then reconcile i suppose the thought because for a lot of people this whole thing of inerrancy and infallibility is like the forefront of their minds just saying no the bible is perfect and so if i see a bloodthirsty god in the old testament and i see a loving peaceful caring jesus in the new testament and i can't reconcile that well then i'm not seeing it right and there's something wrong with my perspective because it has to be right i'm just not seeing it clearly Yes, that's true. And, and I think, um, again, that's why we're encouraged to look at these things through the lens of Christ, because Jesus is the only one that's ever seen God. No one knows who God is like, right? Uh, in times past, Hebrews says, God spoke to us through these other men. But now he has spoken to us through his son. No one knows him better than Jesus. No right. one knows what the Father is like better <clears throat> than Jesus. In fact, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the heart and mind and character of the father the of father. who god really really is so then, and so so again if you have a flat bible perspective you will always wrestle with god is angry and judgmental and and um full of yeah. vindictiveness and vengeance over yeah. here in the old testament right. but over here with jesus he's loving and forgiving and full of mercy and full of forgiveness and full of grace and, and how do i reconcile that well if you're a flat bible believer good luck yeah <laughs> you're you, on your you own. can't you're, you can't so it's you impossible have to accept a, you have to accept a god is schizophrenic He's both loving and yeah. he's angry. If you can't, or, if you can't reconcile it. So what I was going to say, a question that I wrote down, and I actually have an answer for it. But like, what is, <laughs> what is the, um, uh, like, what is the consequence of me rejecting Moses as hearing God 
perfectly, right? Like if I look at the Old Testament and I say, okay, Elijah was wrong, Moses was wrong, not all the way wrong, but wrong in some regards and misunderstood and passed this along from generation to generation, we still have Christ revealed. I can still have salvation. So what does that really affect if you say, well, I don't believe Moses was right. And then Joe Schmo says, well, I believe Moses heard perfectly and you're in contention. The only thing I think it affects is your horizontal relationships and not your vertical relationships. What does it matter if I reject the old Testament of a bloodthirsty child killing God? What does it affect? Right. Well, what it should affect is that you at least begin to realize that Jesus was right about who the father really is. And it's really good news that God is more like Jesus, that God is really, truly more like the father that we see in the prodigal son story. That when his son says, you know, dad, I wish you were dead. Would you hurry up and die so I can take my inheritance? <laughs> right. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't even get upset. He just says, you know what? Here it is. Here's the money. Take it. Yeah. Enjoy it. You know, man, you know what I think of when I hear... Um, when I, when I, especially on the, the comment thread that I posted and everyone was kind of putting in their two cents about the, the, the quote, I just, I couldn't help but realize this. Everyone thinks they're right. So everyone thinks that their point of view is right. Okay. So yeah, let's just gosh. think logically about that. Everyone thinks they're right. What are the odds and what are the chances that the sect, I mean, we'll just break down denominations like that, mm-hmm. that they are right considering everybody and all the views and, and Jason, you and I hold, I'd say we're, we're pretty closely aligned on a lot of stuff, right. but we're not aligned on, on everything, everything, on everything. And I don't like this idea of having to be right, having to have your ducks in a row. Like people have to just realize and have to own the fact that there is a very, very, very high chance that not all of their beliefs are right. And I think right. that if people could accept that, there's freedom in that. Because when you have to make it work, when you got to put God in this box and he's got to go into this and he's got like, it, it just doesn't work. Right. And people's yeah. faith is left in ruins when it doesn't work and they walk away. So now an That's excerpt right. from the book. Another problem with thinking of the gospel as having the right information is that it can lead us to uh, to value being right over and above the command to love others as Jesus loved us. See, if Christianity is about being right, then it's easier to justify cutting off people who don't agree with you. Because if you see Christianity as a quest for rightness, then being wrong is the greatest sin of all. However, if you see Christianity as following Jesus, then being right is less important than the quality of your relationship. Boom, roasted. Michael Scott. no that's exactly right thank you for reading that because that is something that i've 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 seen you know we act as if the gospel is about information and it's about being right and so if the gospel is out of information then being right is what it's all about you have to have the right information about god you have to believe the right 10 things answer the quiz correctly get a hundred percent score and if you do that you're a christian and if you're right about that then you're good but right um but instead, but that's not what the gospel is about. It's not. It's never been about that. Jesus doesn't talk about it like that. It's not about having the right information about God. And you guys talked about gnosko. Gnosko is that is not knowing in the sense of information. It's knowing in this intimacy. It's Adam a and Eve sexual, type level. Yeah. physical, emotional connection. It's an intimacy that conceives, conceives. something. Yeah. Which is this new life within you. So it's less about information and more about transformation now it's like like i just said in the book like the book quote you just read now suddenly i mean again you have to let go of this whole thing and it it took me a while in my own walk to get to this place where i just recognized that you know there are things i believe today and i didn't believe five years ago or 10 years ago right right so and 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 i'm 
I'm still learning and I'm still growing. So I can absolutely be wrong. I've been wrong. Um, like yeah. my friend Josh Lawson has a great quote. I, I use it all the time. It's but it's gold. I love it. He says, "There's a funny thing about my worldview. No matter how many times it changes, I'm always right." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Our, it, you, Go, Go ahead. ahead. Our our buddy Paul, who's been asking a lot of questions, he we just love you, Paul. He, yeah, Paul's great. He's really great. He's good for good conversation. Um, he uh, he just said, "I'm not just about being right. I'm lovingly disagreeing." I promise. LOL. Yeah, and you know, and we've we've given Paul this this uh, praise before, but Paul is willing to step into conversations and to and to have those conversations. Um, to, to something you were going to say earlier about you know being right. Unfortunately, the church has not done a great job with denominations and. Uh, what is it? Uh, affirmations of faith and all of these things. Like you have to align perfectly. If you're here, we're, we're egalitarian, we're complementarian, we're blah, 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 this and that. And so you have to almost find like by design, the church has siloed its people off and said, yeah, okay, yeah. you're over here. If you believe this, you're over here. If you believe this and go little sheep, go, Oh, what about Jesus over there? Nope. Nope. Go to your, go, go over here. Just <laughs> get do to what your, he says. Go to your yeah. pen, sheep. Yeah, right, get right. to your yeah. pen. That whole, that whole deal. Um, you know, one of the things that I really was not expecting from reading your book was, uh, a, and I promise this is a compliment, is a deeper love for Jesus. Um, mm. As I read this book, uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be filled with knowledge, but the way that you speak of Jesus and the honor that you bestow upon him using your words was something that has ignited um, a deeper love for Jesus in me that I... I haven't experienced in a minute. And someone said, Oh, Chris, something's wrong with you then. But maybe, I don't know. But like this idea that, that these topics that you're throwing out, you know, old Testament inerrancy, all of this stuff, and maybe even beginning to let go of some of this. I feel like your book has equipped me to hear the scriptures. Here's what this says here. You know, you make your own judgment call, read the scriptures, Jesus, bring revelation to me, that type of thing. And a Holy spirit, bring revelation. And, uh, and it's just been good. It's been a really good read, and I would encourage um, people who are listening to this right now and are going, well, what about, what about, what about, I can, there's probably a very high chance that you would dress a lot of the their thoughts in the book. I would highly encourage yeah. you to pick this up at the end, you know. What I was going to say about the book, at least, is that um, it, even if it puts you on edge and you're not sure about it, um, at least what you've done is wrote a really compelling argument towards a very traditionally held stance concerning the scripture. Yeah. And so if you, if you're open to having your thought processes challenged, this is a very good read because for some, it would probably really cause a rub for me. I was kind of already moving towards this camp, I suppose. Yeah. So that it was for me, it was reaffirming. Um, and so as I was reading, reading it, I'm reading stuff to my wife and it's just like, she's trying to read something herself, but I keep interrupting her by reading basically the whole <laughs> book to her, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I experienced the same thing. Just really saying, man, put the book down and let's just go seek the living God. Like yes. Focus your time and attention there and, and say, what do you, what do you have for me, father? One of the things that I've said concerning scripture, I, again, I love the scripture. I teach from it. I quote it. I study it. I mean, yeah, I love it. I'm a teacher. Like I believe my Romans 12 gifting is teaching and leading. And so we do that in that capacity. We have the podcast. I teach on Friday nights. Um, I've, I've done some, some different things, creating resources for the body of Christ to grow and learn. Um, but uh, one of the things that I've said about the scripture is that, you know, 
this book that we've been given to point us to the Father um, is only as good to point us to the Father. I have a daughter who's three years old. I love her so much. I sing praises over her. I tell her she's beautiful. I tell her I love her. I, I personally say things to her so that she knows my character and my nature. And I do things for her. And she experiences daddy on a daily basis. Right. If someone were to write a book about me and give it to my daughter and say, you could never talk to him again, that's a very poor substitute for me. Right. And a lot of, yeah. yeah, a lot of what has happened is we've said, oh, this book is great, man, this God is really good. But, you know, we talked in our last episode about how these people in the scriptures, as they experienced God, they gave him different names, Jehovah Jireh, the provider, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God Almighty. They were naming God based on the way that they experienced him. Yes. Not based on what somebody else told them about them. And it had to yeah. do with that experience. And that word gnosko, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, that's one of my favorite places to go. And you do the word study on it. Uh, it actually means experience um, firsthand. Mm-hmm. It's, fir- it's firsthand. You can't know him from my experience. You can't gnosko God by me just telling you about how he is. You might... It might point you to him, but unless you experience God providing a sacrifice for you on the top of the mountain before you slaughter your son, right? then you will know Jehovah Jireh, right? Yeah, yeah. So let me, let me, you said something really great. It reminded me of a quote. Um, it's not mine. I have to give credit. So there's a guy named Gabriel Gordon. Um, you can just rip, cre- uh, rip quotes off on this podcast. We don't care. <laughs> sure. No, but, but he might be listening. So I don't want to get an email from him. Hey, man, that's my quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my friend Gabriel Gordon and I were talking about this topic. And he had a great point, and it's kind of what you just said. Uh, he said something like, you know, um, uh, let me think of a, of, a, of a person. Well, Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Abraham Lincoln is dead. So he's dead. So the only way I could ever know anything about Abraham Lincoln is to go read a book about him, maybe find a, a collection of his journals or his poems right. or letters that he wrote to mm-hmm. other people. And if I just read all this stuff about him, that's the only way I will ever know anything. I will ever know Abraham Lincoln because he's dead. Is Jesus dead? No, no sir. he's alive. So, yes, I can read the Gospels and I can read the Sermon on the Mount. And I can read some of the things that he taught. And I'm so glad that I have those things. But he's not dead and unless Jesus is just some a historical figure that lived a long time ago, and well, now he's dead, and the only way I will ever know anything about him is through this this book. Well, what you're doing is you're actually affirming, you're actually denying the resurrection. Ouch! But if he is alive, Oy. if he's a living God, then you can know him outside of a book about him or right. quotes from him, right? You know, I've... and so that's again, that's my whole thesis of my of the of the book I've written. And I, I love it that you guys have both are sharing that the book help you to draw nearer to him, to be yes. to want even to be more hungry to know him. Right. Yes. That's man. Thank and, you. And That's you know what, what it want. hasn't done? It hasn't made me say, I'm never reading this Bible. Again. Right. Right. Exactly. You, you, and, honestly, and honestly, I mean, just we'll just be real New talk. Lens. Like, you know, you and I have been on this. This is the buzzword deconstruction process yeah. for, right. you know, for a little while. Um, and, I've really wrestled with the Bible. I mean, I've pretty much mm-hmm. stayed out of the Old Testament because I've had a hard time reconciling stuff. And mm-hmm. and um, I can tell you that I have an excitement 
to jump back into the scriptures, to go back and look at the words that Jesus said, to go back. I mean, it and, and, and it's renewed. And so some people might think that because we're having this conversation that we want to take the Bible and just chuck it. And, and it's not about nope. chucking it. And you said this at the very beginning. You said, let's just leave the Bible where it is. The Bible's in the spot that it's in the spot. But I want to take Jesus and move him right back up here. And, yes. and put him right above the Bible where he goes, where he belongs, where he sits, Amen. where he reigns and rules, all of that stuff. And so for me, this has been so, so, so helpful. Um, I can't even believe, begin to, to describe that. So, yes, absolutely. That was one of the things that I wanted to tell you. Uh, and be sure that you got, because I'm sure it's great to get, you know, some, Hey, this is actually did some good as opposed to the 50, you know, one good thing to offset the hundreds of other, you know, heretic things. Yeah. yeah well, you know, here's the thing. I and thank you for saying that, but you know, here's the thing. Everyone I know who has actually taken the time to read the book, right. Has come away with, maybe they had the preconception of it's, this book is about tearing down the Bible and making the right. Bible, you know, to, to discredit the Bible. Nope. I promise you, if you've read this book, when you get to the end of the book, you will you will still love the Bible. You will still have respect for the scriptures and you will love Jesus even more. And that's what everyone that has read the book has had that reaction. I've never had anybody actually read the entire book and come back to me and say, Keith, that's a horrible book. You're just tearing down the Bible. Because if you actually read it, (laughs) if you actually read (laughs) it, I think you will come away with, if nothing else, you'll hear my heart that that's not what I'm trying to do. And that's not where I'm pointing people. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that has, that had been the main defense for us whenever we're saying anything about the book or whatever it is to anybody. I'm saying, look, Hey, just so you know, like I'll ruin it for you. He points you to Jesus and you will want Jesus more. But, but no, but (laughs) here's the thing, man, is like, it was so funny because as people were commenting on my post, I hate that Facebook is okay. Anyways, as people were commenting on my post, I was several times, I went back and I was like, I literally didn't even mention that. Like your defense mechanism kicked in and you are hearing things that you think I'm saying. So you have assumptions. Let me clear up all of these assumptions. Like, let me just, here's my heart. And I think when we can begin to share our heart with people and share, Hey, this is where I'm coming from. This is what I mean. I also think that if, if the church as a whole, especially church leadership, would begin to do a better job of embracing questions, we'd be in a great space. There's a rapper yes. named Andy Minio, and he has a quote that says, the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's when I have it all figured out. And for yes. so long, the- He ch- mentions that. Yeah. Oh, who did? Oh, did he quote it? Yeah, well, no, I I, I quoted it. He just Okay, quoted. go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, you weren't really listening. You're over <laughs> no, there. I was listening. He quoted something like that. Faith. Oh, did he? Well, the yeah. opposite of doubt is not, yeah, the opposite of doubt Fa- is not faith, it's certainty. Certainty. Right. right. And, yep, but yep, for right. so many people, the Bible has become this, oh, this is going to sound really bad, this crutch that it's like, yep. I don't have to go to Jesus anymore. Like, it, it's yes. here. I'm certain of it. And, oh, I'm going to say, like, it's oh, lazy. Say it. Like, it's oh. lazy to, to no, do it is. that. Listen, you know? I mean, listen, that's exactly right. I mean, what um like when you again when you look at the fact that for about 400 years the new testament church did not have anything like we call the new testament or or even the bible right but it took that long for the scriptures to be canonized and we're going to keep this and throw that out and put that but before that no one even really even thought about it it was sort of like again they were just saying did this writing encourage me did this writing draw me to closer to jesus right did this writing you know uh, set me free to something well then thank you jesus for that i appreciate it you spoke to me through this thing. 
But um, so the church grew and thrived without without having to go. Here's the thing. I had this conversation with someone about this. They were saying, you know, gosh, man, the early church, the spirit would just speak to them and they would go and move and send somebody there and go there and plant a church there and send missionaries here and evangelize there. Wow. What were they led by? The spirit. And you know what? I think I'm convinced that one of the reasons why the early church grew so powerfully in those early days is because no one heard the spirit speak to them and say, hold on a minute. Hold on. Let's turn. Let's turn and see. Yep. 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 Uh-huh. Does it, does it, is it in the, well, no, we can't do that. Bring it out say the that. scrolls. <laughs> so, because here's the thing, and now listen, but we do that today. This is what concerns me, that we have Christians today who I think could be hearing the Spirit of God telling them, go and do and, and do these amazing things that God's heart is for us to do. And we're going, hold on, Holy Spirit. Well, I don't see this over here. You didn't do that 2,000 years ago. Yeah, that's what he did 2,000 years ago. But what does right. he want to do right now Amen. in your life, Amen. in your community, in your family, in your you know, surrounding area? But we're being held back because, oh, but he didn't do that 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Well, my gosh, we've now we've allowed the cement to harden so hard mm. that we're not even open to hearing. Maybe the Spirit wants us to do something. And now, if you really want to get me in trouble. Let's go yes, for it. Gonna, I want it. If you're point. not in trouble already. <laughs> well, if I, yeah, well, I might as well keep going. Um, Because there's a part in the book, uh, and again, and I credited this to uh, Derek Flood, but when I tried to quote it to Derek Flood, he said that he thinks I made it up. So uh, whatever. I I (laughs) thought I got it from Derek Flood. Uh, He has a great book called Disarming Scripture. Um, Oh. And uh, it's a great book. If you haven't read that book, it's a really great book. But so there was a concept that I saw in his book, Disarming Scripture where he talks about, and I think I talk about this in Jesus Unbound as well. This is probably one of the more controversial parts. Uh, it's near the end of the book. Um, because again, we always hear this phrase, well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never contradict what's written. And I give examples in the book about actually in the scriptures, it contradicts that idea. That many times what is written is contradicted by the Holy Spirit. And so, in fact, if you want to even get really, really, like really put a point on it, right. it's when Jesus does a miracle and the Pharisees reject what they saw with their own eyes. They just saw Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit work a miracle. They saw it. They reject it because it doesn't line up with what is written. And Jesus calls that the unforgivable sin. Right. Now, that is Big time, <laughs> because right. they, hold on a second. Are we guilty of doing that today? I, I wonder sometimes if we're not guilty of doing that. We will see the spirit move. We'll see God do. We'll even hear the spirit speak something to us. But because it doesn't line up with what as what we understand, we'll know what's written says blah, blah, blah. And then we deny it. We say, oh, no, that wasn't God. Now, what are we doing? Right. We're, in other words, we're allowing this written word, which, again, I love it. I think it's great. It's very, very helpful. But we're allowing that to silence the actual voice of the of the shepherd yeah. who wants to speak to his sheep, who wants to to speak to us, encourage us, lead us by his spirit and guide right, us. Right. And we're closed. We've closed our ears. In fact, I think in the in the book, I've got that cartoon by. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, dude, sheep, I loved it. The sheep with the headphones. <laughs> yeah. They're rocking the, the beats. Oh, here it is. All right, look, yeah. if you're watching at home, you can see that. Yeah. I love this. Right, so they've got they've got headphones listening to the Bible, and Jesus says, "You know, my sheep can hear my voice," and they're saying, "What did he say?" <laughs> because all they can you, hear 
Christopher He's texted me that picture. He said, shots fired, shots fired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I oh, love man. It. You know, you talked to, I think what ends up happening with a lot of people is that fear comes into play, you know? And, and, and I think that some of it, a lot of it is like, I just don't want to do the wrong thing. I just don't want to believe because that was the fear that I had with wrestling with inerrancy. Like, God, I just, I just want to believe whatever you want me to believe. Like whatever you want for me, that's what I want for me. And there was this fear and I, I'm going to read a quote from your book. It says religion leads to a life of anxiety, fear, and stress. A living faith in Christ leads to life of joy, hope, peace, and confidence based on our connection to God. And so there's so much fear and anxiety that surrounds with, whoa, 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 brother, brother, be careful. You're on, you're on thin ice. You know, you, uh, you're walking a dangerous line, line, you're teetery, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Paul had something really good that I think, you know, we may read that, uh, I'll go ahead and throw this out. Is that all right? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, on one of the quotes, this is one of the guests. He says, I guess my main misunderstanding I'm getting from you, Keith, is that I don't understand how, um, how you would test something as prophetic or true because, um, you're only arguing for feeling and subjective thought. That's the comment. Oh boy. This is great. So, um, and actually it's great cause I was going to, I was going to respond this way anyway, based on what you just said, but that question, um, that, that question is right along it, the same it's lines. It's almost like the Holy Spirit. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Imagine. It's almost like the Spirit is guiding us. His um, question's not in Scripture, so we're rejecting it. Yeah, I'm rejecting that. Yeah. Well, no, because here's the thing. So what we end up doing, like you said, um, typically out of fear, um, what we end up doing is saying, well, look, you know, what Keith, what you're talking about is dangerous. You're talking about encouraging the average Christian to just listen to the Spirit of God and to be led by the Spirit. Oh, no, that's dangerous. You might get it wrong. As if, if we only have the Bible and we only study the Bible, we'll never get it wrong. I think I've got like 2,000 years of proof, 1,500 years at least, of proof (laughs) that we can get it so very wrong by only following the Bible. Because here's the problem. Again, I talk about this in the book too. Um, There's a difference between something being biblical and something being Christ-like. I can use the Bible to, to, to justify slavery, genocide, patriarchy, uh, polygamy, uh, all, all kinds of things, all kinds of horrible things. And, and, can I, can, and I can use it. the Bible to do it. And that's an example of following the Bible, following the scripture and getting it very, very wrong. So I'm not saying, however, that by following the spirit, by learning, listen, it, it takes discernment. It takes time to learn how to abide with Christ, that Christ abides in you. And more and more, the more you do that, the more you do begin to know that's Jesus. That's the voice of the Spirit. Now, does it mean I'm never going to get it wrong? Oh, of course I'm going to get it wrong. I'm a human being, remember? I'm going to make mistakes, right? Of course I am. Right. I'm just saying this. I honestly believe, and I think that this is what the New Testament tells us to do, that we have been given the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit leads us into all truth. There's lots of verses that talk about how the anointing that we have received is real. It remains on you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Because why? You have the Spirit of the living God in you. So I'm just saying that according to the Scriptures, I can hear. I have the mind of Christ. I have Jesus, the Spirit of the living God, in me. And so does that mean I'm not going to get it wrong? Of course I'll get it wrong. But I think you have a better chance of getting it right if you're being led by the spirit, then if you're only being led by a book, because again, I've got over a thousand years of, of history of examples of people just using the book 
Right. And doing awful, horrible, disgusting things, which, by the way, are not Christ-like. Right, right. And you totally can look at the life of people. I mean, you can you can 100%, I think we touched on this earlier, read the Bible every single day of your life and not have the transformative power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Truth. You can be right. a, a tree that bears bad fruit, and your soil could be the Bible. But if yes. Jesus isn't coming, and if he's not tending to the tree and doing all, like if the fruits of the spirit are not evident and present in your life, then where's the transformative power in the Bible? There isn't any. By the way, look, Jesus tells us verbatim, there is no life in the Bible. He said that. He said to the Pharisees, he said, you search, you search the, scri- the scriptures, scriptures yep. because you think in them you will find life, but you won't. And where's the only place you're going to find life in Christ. Right. So again, you say you love the Bible, you say you follow the Bible, then what does it say? I mean, the Pharisees it's were a perfect you. example. They, yeah. they knew, they studied, they remembered, they could recall large, massive chunks of, of the Old Testament. I mean, yeah. books. like and they, miss the they heart could do of God. It. And you can miss the heart of God. But then you go back and you talk in your book about Paul, Jesus coming, removing the veil, voila, yes. now we can see, you know. Yeah, one of the stuff. things, one of the things you brought up in the book that I thought was really great. And it pertains to this question about like, how do you discern? How do you know that you're hearing from God? Um, it has to do with when you said we're all in process and I've, I've said that a lot, like where I'm at That's in my true. process is not where you're at in your process. Right. And so my job isn't to get you to get where I'm at in my process. And your job isn't to try and achieve where I'm at in my process. Right. That's religion. That's saying you have to live up to my standard of what I think your relationship of God should look like. That's religion. Yes. That's what the Pharisees did. Um, but we're all in process. And so here's the thing, like with the father, it, I mean, it's just like the way that we, we interact with our children. Right. Keith, you have kids? Oh yeah. I have two boys. Okay, yes. great. So as they were growing up and, and they were um, trying to do things correctly, but missing the mark, essentially what sin means, they're missing the mm-hmm. mark. You're still looking at them, proud of them, loving them, yes. caring them, leading them and guiding them. And so, you know, if we're afraid that like, oh, you heard something from God and you better be careful because you might be wrong. Where's the grace in that? Right. Right. Where's the heart of the father for that person to create a safe space to say, maybe maybe you didn't hear the spirit, but let's seek him more and make sure that you are or ask again or whatever it is. Where's the grace in that? We start to reject things. And I think there's a lot of fear that surrounds because if I have the scripture and I can use my, uh, my method of interpreting the scriptures. And then I say, okay, I have all of knowledge of good and evil and black and white, and it's right here. And I'm going to tell you what's right and wrong. And I have this too much power. It's too much power. power. Number one, it's way too much power because just like you said, people can get it wrong. Like you've got freaking, uh, the Baptist church up in, uh, Kansas city or wherever the heck they are. Uh, Westboro Baptist. They're using the scriptures, but they're using them wrong. But right. they're still using yeah, them. And so we, yeah. we can get it wrong. And so, you know, where's the grace in that? Where's the grace for me to tell you, hey, follow the spirit, listen to the spirit. And then you say something based on what you think the spirit's telling you. But then all of a sudden be like, whoa, hold on, brother. I just encouraged you to do that. But then I'm going to be afraid of what you say. Right. Well, I, I think, again, you said it, you know, I, I say it in the book, but I think it's very true. Like we uh, that should be a big red flag. Like for me, it's a big flag. When I hear, when people respond to me by threatening me, by giving me, by trying to put fear on me. Oh, like you were just saying a minute ago, you know, oh, the, you better be, I'm going to pray for you, brother, because, you know, you're in danger now. You're leading people, God's like, um, 
No, I don't think so. In fact, I don't think that's who God is. Right. I don't. I, in fact, um, if, if God is love and my judge is God and I'm judged by love, I, I'm good with that. Right. And I, and I'm, I'm good with, I'm good with that if I'm wrong and I'm judged, I'm judged by a good, loving, kind father who cares about me, who would rather die than live without me. And, um, I, there's no fear in that. What is the, again, what does the scripture say about that? There is no fear in love because fear is about punishment and judgment. So stop putting that back on each other. Right. You know, I, I, when Christians put, put fear back on you, uh, and when they put shame on you, gosh, I hate that when people go shame on you. No, no, no. No shame on me, brother. It actually says that if I'm in Christ, there is no condemnation, yep. none, and it's right. gone, and there's no shame. In fact, that's what one of the main things he did was he removed shame off of me forever, and it, you're not putting it on me, and I'm not putting it on you. So we don't do that to each other. That's not the way we operate, right? Um, what's the, what's the, I love the verse where it says, um, I can't remember, I think it's Philippians, but it says, um, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. And it says, we once we regarded Christ in that way, but no more. But again, so that worldly point of view is that sort of judgment and that um, coming down on them and, and the fear and control and all that. Like, nope, we don't do that anymore. That's not the way, that's right. not what we're about anymore. Yeah, so so let me ask a question then, because I uh, somebody said, I think y'all are projecting a negative attitude on people who would align themselves with what I'm saying. And so what, um, what I want to ask the question is, cause I, I'm truly sorry for that. I don't, I don't want, um, anybody to feel attacked or, or anything by what we're talking about. And so how no, do you, no. so how do you walk that line? How do you hold a different perspective? How do you stay passionate about it? Which is what's happening with me now as I'm getting passionate and mm-hmm. I'm using examples, but I have to remember that people fall into those categories. And so how do we walk the line in love and have these kinds of conversations, especially when they're so controversial? Right. Yeah. Well, it's like you just said, and this is honestly, I, I hope that I don't think that we've come across <clears throat> like where we are against people. Um, I'm against ideas that are, that are putting people in fear and control and bondage and those kind of things. Um, but my, the way I deal with people is I will, uh, present my ideas, but I don't attack people. And if you follow me on Facebook, you've seen that right. I don't attack people. I don't attack their character. I don't make these assumptions about them and who they are and what they're about. Um, I have a lot of grace for people who hold that flat Bible perspective, for example, why? Because I did. Right. That was me. That was me like 10 years ago. And, and by the way, I believe what they believe for the exact same reasons that they believe it right, right. now. I, am, I already know what that is. So I do have grace for that. Now, I do try to, uh, to present ideas, to show you some scripture, to help them think of it in a, in a different way. My goal is to sort of, I want to I wanna pull the thread a little bit on, what, on this thing that they think is all perfect and put together. Um, I want to say, but what about that? Have you, but have you thought about this? But have you considered that? And again, I'm talking about the ideas and, and right. for them, for the, now I'm going to also say though, um, a lot of them, when I do that, their response is to attack me and to it's call an me anger. a heretic and to right. say that I hate Jesus and I'm, I'm a, you know, what a false prophet or whatever. Like I get all kinds of personal attacks. Um, but I don't return that to them. And I'm always, and I'm only trying to, to, um, challenge the ideas and to get them to at least consider something. But I, but I know that for many people, just the act of doing that is perceived as an attack or a threat because they, they're holding so tightly 
right. to these beliefs. Their, their identity is wrapped up many, many times in those beliefs and in that doctrine, right? Well, I mean, and uh, so, I mean, you yeah, have, the only thing you can do is, again, to live at peace with all men as far as it depends upon you. Um, I'm only trying to introduce ideas that I think are worth considering. And right. again, I think Jesus talks about right. all that. So I, there's no doubt. And we've talked about this before because I, there's been times where we've sat in this room before we've hit record. And I've said to Christopher, like, man, you know, sometimes I feel like we're just so negative and like we need to lighten it up or something. But what I've realized is that there's passion behind these ideas because the purpose is that we want people to see Jesus more. And I would, I would, uh, I would bet that you have multiple ways in your life that you work to point people to Jesus, not just through a book that is called Jesus Unbound, you know, unleashing, right, right. you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's not the only thing that you're focusing on. The only idea that you're presenting your entire life probably is meant to pointing people to Jesus. And so we, we, with these conversations, my hope was that people would be pointed to Jesus. And of course we're going to have to wrestle some through some of the ideas and some of the, the rebuttals and those kinds of things. But I think in the end, it's like, Hey bro, I just, I, what I want for anybody anymore. And I think the greatest thing you can do for anybody on a daily basis is take a moment and point them to Jesus. Like, don't look at me. Just go because that's the best thing for anybody. Right. Dude, I'm to the point in my life to where I, I know there is a v- probably a pretty high probability that I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. I mean, but but maybe not. Um, but maybe, but maybe yes. And so, <laughs> so I don't want to be right. And and I'm not saying this to like, no, oh, look at him over there. He's like trying to be super cr-. like. I, I if just loving want, you is wrong, I don't want to be right. I just want <laughs> I just want Jesus. Like I don't need yes. to be right. I just want Jesus. And if I'm wrong, there is grace and love from Jesus. There is love from the Father. And and that is I'm okay with that because I know I'm not gonna have it all figured out on right. this side where I'm at right now in my life. Right. I won't. But Jesus will begin to show and address things in my life that he wants me to begin to wrestle with. And for me, mm. this has been a big one that that I feel like it's coming to a land. If it's been a plane that's been in air, we've been rotating around the airport for a while. <laughs> and I funny. feel like it's descent time. And so, yeah. I mean, yeah. just realizing when, that people are in process. And when that happens, you start to get aggressive and tired and frustrated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this has been such you a good conversation. You can only eat so many packs of peanuts and drink so many <laughs> small servings yeah, of Sprite. Yeah. Well, well, man, I, I, I feel like maybe this is time to wrap it up, but, uh, Keith, I just want to give you the, give you the floor again. Any um, closing final comments, words, final man. words, thoughts to our listeners? Yeah. Thank you for doing that. And by the way, thank you guys. It's been a great conversation. Yes. Thank I you. enjoyed it. Thank thing. You. There's another section in the book. Um, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I'm going to just kind of go down bullet real quick. Um, and again, all of these, all of these questions are answered by scripture. Where are you at? In the, uh, in this the is page 86. Okay. For those of you reading along at home. That's right. Everybody <laughs> open your uh, Jesus open Unbound your and turn to, that's Jesus right. Unbound to page 86. Uh-huh. Boom. Uh, who does God speak to us through today? Not Moses, not Elijah, Jesus. And that's from Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Who is the one mediator between God and man? Not the law, not the prophets, Jesus. First Timothy 2, 5. Who is the one instructor who teaches us? Not the law, not the prophets, Jesus. That's Matthew 23, 10. Who is the one we should listen to? Not Moses, not Elijah, Jesus, Matthew 17, 4. Who is the only one who removes the veil that covers the Old Testament scriptures that cover our eyes? Only Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3, 14. Where do we go to find life? 
not to the scriptures, to Jesus, John 4, 39. Who is the only one who has ever seen God at any time? Not Moses, not Elijah, Jesus, John 1, 17 through 18. Who is the word of God? Not your Bible, Jesus, John 1, 1 and 14. Who reveals the truth to us about the Father? No one but Jesus. That's John 14, 9, Luke 10, 22. Um, and in fact, Luke 10, 22 is one of the most powerful verses too, because I think we overlook it. And I'm going to just read this one. Because in response to the question, who reveals the truth to us about who the Father really is? In Luke 10, 22, Jesus says this, no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's powerful. No one knows who the Father is except the Son, and to whomever the Son chooses to reveal the Father. So without Jesus, we don't get it. We don't know who God really is. We're, we're getting it wrong. We have to start with Jesus. And again, the whole point of my book is to elevate Jesus, to lift Jesus up, to make it not about being right. It isn't about that. I don't really care about winning arguments. But at the end of it, if, I, if people come away with more of a, a, a love for Jesus, a hunger for him, a desire to spend more time with him, to hear his voice, to be led by him, uh, that's worth it. That's what I want. That's really all I care about. <clears throat> So, yeah, thank you guys for this opportunity yeah. to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You want to you want to plug your your blog or your, you know, the podcast, let people yeah. know where they can hear more of your stuff. Yeah, if you want to get, you know, if you want me to have the poke the bear a little bit more, yeah, you can come it. to uh, my blog. It's really just my, it is on Pathios, but the simple way to get there is just go to keithgiles.com. That'll take you straight to my blog. Um and I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and I'm pretty accessible there if you want to connect there. Uh, I do this podcast called the Heretic Happy Hour Podcast, uh, which is you can go to heretichappyhour.com. And um, uh, yeah, I guess that's and mainly yeah, it. Yeah, drop some of the names of the people that you've had on there. Those are some, oh, yeah. we've some had great some interviews. Yeah. I mean, we've had Bart Ehrman, who's like a very famous atheist. Um, we've had uh, Peter Inns, uh -huh. Brian Zahn, Brad Jerzak. So Pete uh, Inns. Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. He does uh, the Bible Bishop, for... Bishop Bible Sorry? for normal people. Pete ends, right? Yeah. Pete ends is, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, he's been on there. We've had, um, we had Rachel Held Evans, which was, uh, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, right. So yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Got to have her on. Right. Nadia Boltzweber, Bishop Carlton Pearson, by the way, if you haven't seen the, the movie come Sunday on Netflix, we had the actual guy, the real guy that's about, um, oh, wow. come and talk to us. That was an amazing episode. Who's that? Say that again. There's a Netflix movie called come Sunday. It's uh -huh. a true story of Bishop Carlton Pearson, who uh -huh. was a very famous televangelist in Oklahoma City, who right. um, had became... this major epiphany about hell not being right. forever. Yes. And lost everything. Uh -huh. I mean, he, lost. he went to Oral he Roberts went... University. Yes. Right. Yes. Oral yep. Roberts was grooming him to basically take over the ministry uh, until that happened. Yeah. Uh, the movie. The movie is great, by the way. Yeah. Um, Paul wants to know movie. if you had any guys on the podcast that disagree with you. Well, the atheist. Well, Bart Ehrman, yes. Yeah. Um, and and no, he's not the only one. And it, well, not only that, let me just say this. The three hosts of the podcast don't agree with each other. Right. And that, so every single <laughs> Wait a episode. Minute. So you can remain in community and yes. do that with people you yes. disagree with? Well, yeah, like I said, you know, you know one of the hosts. So it's it's me and Jamal Javanji and Matthew DeStefano. And Jamal Javanji and I, even before we did this podcast, he had a book that came out and I wrote a like a really negative review of his book. <laughs> Um, and then after that, we co-hosted this podcast together and yet we still That's love amazing. each other, respect each other. We listen to each other with, with love and respect, even though we disagree on lots of things. 
Um, so we're modeling every episode what it what it means for Christians to listen to and and honor one another without agreement. Wow. Right. And your review was it sucks. He's a heretic. Don't buy it. That's it. <laughs> uh, no, it's a lot longer than that. Actually. <laughs> oh man! Oh, but he has well. a new. By the way, I'll say this. Let me just say this. He yeah, he sure. has a brand new book that I love. That's great. So go read the new book. It's called Living for a Living. It's a really good book. Nice, nice, nice. Living nice. for a living, guys. Any uh, any other kind of resources you might point us to, just if we like to read or follow blogs and that kind of stuff? Oh, you mean just other things? Yeah, just in general. Oh gosh! Hey, the um, Bible, duh. Uh, you, do, you, Bible. do you follow Brian's on quite a bit? You know, I'll, I follow him on Twitter, and I read. I lo- love his books, but I've only I've only read. Um, you know, he wrote the he wrote the forward to my book, but yeah, right. I read, yeah, I saw um, that. Yeah, uh, I love. Um, what is it? Farewell to Mars. I absolutely love the one. The main one I recommend is Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. That book, is right? Amazing. Right. Um, so, you, you know, we're in uh, in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, Friends University is here. And so Friends University is where James Brian Smith, who wrote Good and Beautiful God, is the director of the Spiritual Formation School there at Friends University. Okay. And he is uh, good friends with Brian Zahn. I know Brian Zahn's oh. in Kansas City. Is that right? I think that's true. Yes, I think he is. Yeah, so there's just some connection there. I didn't. I don't know if you'd heard of any of those guys. Dallas Willard came oh, out gosh, of there. Yes. Listen, uh, I am so blessed. I had this. I had this huge epiphany in my life, um, and Dallas Willard was a big part of that. Yeah. Um, and I got to interview him twice. Oh wow! So I got wow. to I got to talk to him twice. It's phenomenal. Uh, he is a great guy, and I love Renovation of the Heart and um, Divine Conspiracy. Both amazing. Books. Ooh, yes. Listeners, man, right. thank you so much for joining in and, and man, just being a part of this episode. I think this is one that we were super excited about. And uh, and you know what? You can 100% disagree with us and that's okay. That's right. that's um, but okay. I would encourage you to and go. And if you do, go to patreon.com slash send us all your money. Um, but man, seriously, if any of this resonated with you at all, if, okay, I'll say this. If this got a response from you, either one way or the other, uh, I'm vibing with this or I'm disagreeing with this, I would highly encourage you to um, read the book. Jason's going to drop uh, the link in the show notes. Right. He'll have all the, yeah. well, he, I think he's going to try to catch all the books that were I'm mentioned throw all the in, links the show in the notes. show notes. So, uh, Keith, man, thank you again for joining us. Jason, you want to, yeah, you have anything you want to add? Yeah, no, Keith, I, I appreciate it again. And, and, uh, I don't know. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself enough that maybe you'd come back on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Man. Bring, I got uh, another book coming out in November. Oh, so well ooh. there you go. Yeah. We'll do a nice. book release bonus episode and maybe you can bring some of your friends with you. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That'd, be, That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Hey, we're going to go ahead and let you go. And Chris and I are going to wrap up the end of this episode. And so right. again, thank you so very much and I'll be in touch and we'll, we'll keep following what you're doing. All right. Thank you guys. God bless. Thanks, bye Keith. Keith. Uh, Have a good one. Yeah, bye. Bye. Post game show. Post game show. Yeah. Wow. How about that? Man. That was a trip. Ah, that was That was a lot of fun, actually. That was a lot of fun, man. First author on the show. Yeah. First uh guy another guy who's on the podcast, right? Like he's uh have we had anybody else who's I don't think we've had anyone else on another kind of podcast? Well yeah, I don't think so. Not really, huh? No. That's cool, man. I really, really enjoyed that. I, I loved um making him laugh. That was fun. 
Oh yeah, do you I like his smile? Did you like his smile? I just, uh, do you feel validated? Yeah, a little bit. I just felt like we had a really, really good conversation. I appreciated all the comments and the engagement that we had um, on Facebook. I mean, that's always something that's super, super cool. Um, I, I'm not looking forward to which this is just something we talked about. Like, I'm not looking forward to all the messages or you know, hey brother, I'm concerned about you or blah 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 or any of that stuff. Like, and, you know, and there may be some of that, and I get people's hearts, but it's yeah, just like, I, uh, sure, you didn't you didn't care about me when. I had other, you know, hidden sin in my life. Like, you know, it's just one of those things like, but you know, this one thing is, so it's just dumb. Um, I'm especially, I hope none of my family members reach out to me cause I don't even want to mess with that. But anyways, it was fun. <laughs> that, but, that took a real yeah, dark turn. I know, but, I just, but, but here's where I end up though. Like really my question is if, if I disagree with your stance on the scriptures, but I still agree with you concerning everything of the doctrine of salvation and Christ and new life and spirit and purpose and mission. Like, does it make any difference? You know what I'm saying? It, I think this kind of boils down to like, you know, uh, creationism. Like if you look at, do you believe in a seven day creation or do you believe in something else? Right. Do you believe in the gap theory or whatever it is? Like, does it, does any of that really matter? Because I could be totally wrong about the creation account, right? right? I could read it one way and misinterpret it. And I'm wrong. Just as if I look at Moses and say, he got it wrong in some places and me being wrong about that. If I'm still wrong about those things, does it really change anything? Yeah. I mean, some people would say yes. Um, you know, I'm more and more in my faith. There's just been so much that I feel like I've been wrong about. And I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. I want more of him in my life. I want more Christ-like character in my life. I want the fruits of the spirit to be transparent in my life. I mean, I want yeah. to love people the way that Jesus right. loves me. And right. and that is where, sure. m- that's the trajectory that I want mm-hmm. my life to go. More Jesus, more being like Jesus, yeah. and, you know, all of that. And so, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's some stuff that I'm really, really, really wrong about. Um, but I'm pretty sure the one thing that I, I would say I have the most certainty is, is Jesus and who he is and what he did for me and his love for me and his representation of the father and, and his heart, you know, all of that stuff. I like, I'm sure about that. You know, you know what I want? And I've been thinking about this and it's not just so that I could like be different or like have some sort of level of revelation and knowledge, but as much as, um, so there's a scripture that says now to him who is able to do far more than we can ever ask or think of. And he does it by his spirit in us. Right. Um, he's Paul saying, look, God can do far more than we can ever think or ask. So think about the craziest thing you could think. And God can do far more beyond that. I mean, and for so, me, it would be, I could eat all the carbs that I want and still maintain a sure, very gentlemanly he could, figure. He could miraculously shift your metabolism so that that has no sh- focus or effect on your, on your body whatsoever. Yeah. That'd be and great. And you can do far more than that. Right. <laughs> Impossible. So, so what I'm saying exactly is that right. as much as God wants to blow my mind about what he's capable of, I want to get to that place. I in want my to thinking. get my mind blown. <laughs> I w- right. I right, want to, right. I want to far outthink what I've thought and then think further beyond that because that's how much God can do. Yeah. And that's just where I want to be. So I want to have my thought processes challenged. I want to believe that but, all the things where scripture says we can, we can do what Christ did and more. Okay. Well, when Christ appeared for 40 days after he 
came off the cross. Like, can we appear to people? Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Right, like right, right. he said, we're going to do that. And what he did in greater. And so are we going to take, you know, look at that and really believe it. And, and, you know, maybe that's a bad example. I don't know, but right, I but, just, I want to have, I want to have the Lord really open my mind more than I've ever had it open, open before. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. <laughs> I want to see you. Some people don't like it when we sing <laughs> in serious moments. Um, hey, but I was going to say this. You know, he brought up a really good point when Keith was talking about, um, you know, us being in process. And we had a little dialogue about that. But, dude, I remember the first time I listened to um, the Bad Christian Podcast. And I remember hearing it and immediately rejecting it because they were presenting points of view and thoughts that I'd never, ever heard before. And I was like, oh, there's no way you can be a Christian and have a show where there's blatant cussing on it and just all this stuff. Like... And I remember rejecting it. Dung, I was dung, working. Dung, 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 <laughs> I was dung. working at a church at the time, and then I ended up leaving working at that church and revisiting it again after my heart was in a different place. And uh, and so I I remember just being like, you know, I think I need to listen to something other than everything that I've always ever heard. And I remember God oh, wow. meeting me in this moment of doubt and, and, you know, going like, because here's the thing, when you have doubts and you continue to press towards God, a lot of people will be like, oh, no, don't do that. Brother, don't do that. But really, you're showing a deeper desire. You're saying, God, I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. I don't know what to believe, but I know you're there or I think you're there and I, and I want to continue to press towards you and I want to keep moving towards you. There's yeah. something powerful. That's faith. That is faith. Right. Believing in the unseen, that mm-hmm. is what faith is. Right. And so, you know, I know that there are a lot of people that are probably going to wrestle with some of the content that was going on. And guess what? It probably might not get resolved just by reading his book. Right. I mean, for me, I've been in process wrestling with a lot of the things that he threw out, you know, since 2016. I think that's really when all this kind of journey started for me. Um and and I would encourage you to just Jesus will meet you where you're at in your certainty, in your uncertainty, in your sin, in your pursuit of righteousness, in your lack of the fruits of the spirit, in your abundance of the fruits of the spirit, he will meet you there and but it's a pursuit. I mean it's it's going towards him. You don't even have to pursue hard. Abide, 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 abide. Amen. I agree with that. I'm 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 toast, y'all. I'm going to call it quits. All right, well, I'm I just going to go solo. I just got a second go win. I'm yeah, just going to go for it now. Oh, I don't, bro. I'm toast. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm hungry. I, I just want to eat bad food. I just want to say I was really excited about that, and I, I really wish K, uh, Casey could have been here for this, but you know, we th- this was the first time I ever really reached out to uh, someone that I didn't know to ask to come onto the podcast. And, uh, and, and I'm really grateful for Keith Giles and his heart and, uh, you know, what he's written and the way that it's challenged me, even if I don't agree with it all the way or whatever, like I'm okay with being challenged. Um, and, uh, again, it's, it has helped me to say, okay, Jesus, like you, you're going to be the one that leads and guides us into all truth. And so even if I have a wrong view of the old Testament, lead me and guide me concerning right. the truth, right? Like for sure. you, you be the source of that for me yes. and show me what's right and wrong and this and that and the other. And that's really going back to the garden of Eden, sourcing from the tree of life, not sourcing from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Am I going to try and figure this out on myself? Am I by myself or am I really going to ask God, Hey, can you show me what this means? Right. Right. And Paul said something earlier. He said spirit and book. And I agree. Like right. it. Yeah. So yes. we can do both. And, yes. Yep. Again, we're not trying to throw out the Bible. But we just, I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but Jesus up here, Bible here, they're mm-hmm. both great. Right. They're both good. Yep. Yes. 
for sure. All of the things. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We went super long, but it was totally worth it. SaltyDogsPodcast.com. Check out our Patreon page. Give join, us your money. Join. No, don't say that. I love to say that. Ah, that's not what we want. Support us with your money. Uh, you're painting us in a bad light. I'm not painting us in any light. If your heart so desires to support the podcast financially, please do. There's an opportunity for that. It is not required. We will you. send you a prayer blanket. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you sew into this ministry, we'll give you a, a, a little, <laughs> we'll send you a, a, a thing of essential oils. I'll, I'll send you a, an autographed Bible that I personally, properly interpreted. Oh. Correctly. Okay, okay, one last thing. Did you hear about, there's a really big name pastor, I'm not going to drop his name, but on Instagram, he posted his sermon notes, and then he uh, said that anyone who wants them, he'll sign them and send them to him. Sign sermon notes. Yeah, there you go. Oh, no. Anyways. Wow. <laughs> All right, you guys. We hope you enjoyed it. Peace. Bye. Oh, I forgot. We have a new sign-off tagline. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs> Stay fresh, Chungus. That was good. Uh, Bye.